This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Right, welcome to another edition of uh, My Chelsea, which is something that we uh, decided to do during the lockdown and uh, have been having a lot of fun with ever since, where we get to invite a mate of ours and ask them why they love Chelsea as much as we do. And of course, I'm Stamford Chidge, uh, but it's not about me today. It's all about this fine man. And uh, many of you will not only know who he is, but will have listened to his fantastic music. He is none other than the absolute legend that is Andy Cairns. From the brilliant band Therapy, Andy, I cannot tell you how chuffed I am to have you on the show. Oh, thanks very much, I'm really chuffed to be here talking to you. What I what I didn't realise, and and I mean this 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 tickled me. I've got to be honest. But when Mark Mark said, "Do you know we get Andy on the show?" and I said, "Yeah," he said, "Do you know he listens to it?" I said, "You're joking." I mean, I don't know why. In my little head, my little man head, I, I just think that maybe my mum listens to it, and that's about it. To find out somebody like you listens to our show blew my mind. How long have you been listening? About about a year and a half. I've oh, always right. always download the shows, take them with me whenever I go on tour. Um, I love it, and I, whatever I was asked to do the my Chelsea section, I was completely familiar with that as well. Oh, you listen to Mark uh, when he's been guesting on doing the fifty years of Chelsea. It's great. It's, it's kind of it's what I do. I mean, whenever I'm on tour. To be honest, most of it is football. You know, if I'm on tour for like a long, long time um, and traveling, it's football books, um, football podcasts that I listen to whenever I'm in the van or else in hotel rooms. Brilliant stuff. Yeah, because I mean, you know, we all think being a rock and roll star is brilliant and all the rest of it, but I, I bet a lot of it's pretty dull, particularly the traveling in between gigs and, and when you're on tour. So I can I get that. that that's a, It must be a lifesaver. Oh, it is. And it's like, I think it's, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why I love, uh, I mean, I love Chelsea for a lot of reasons, but I found it like a lifesaver for me at a certain point in my life because it just took me away from negativity into like this really positive energy. Um, And it it stays with me to this day. It's, you know, it's, uh, I think when other musicians I know are the same, like the last thing you want to do when you're on, on stage at night's different, you know, whatever, but during the day, you don't want to be, 
just reading about music and talking about music, you know, you want to do something else. And Chelsea's perfect for me, so that's why I just always fill up my kind of phone and my, my laptop and loads of things to listen to and read. Well, there you go. I'm glad. I'm glad we've enriched your ears somewhat. You've enriched ours for many, many years, so it only Thank seems you. fair to me. Now, listen, I've got to ask you, I've been absolutely burning to ask you this question because, I mean, you, you probably know if you've listened to the show that I have a day job and the day job is I am actually a therapist. Yeah. And here, I'm, here I am interviewing a bloke who's got a band called Therapy. Uh, why, why therapy? We wanted a name that was really easy to remember. And whenever we started the band, there was two of us. There was myself and there was the original drummer, Five Viewing. And the music we listened to was, you know, was agitated guitar rock and it was... Very, very, very kind of, uh, the milkman wouldn't be humming the tunes. And we wanted a suitable name. And we thought, we well, we really like direct names. We like The Who is a name for a band and The Jam. But we didn't want to, we, we, we wanted something that was really easy to remember. And I think during one particularly hectic rehearsal, it just came into my head, why don't we call the band Therapy? And straight away, five went, yeah, I like it. Now, everyone else we mentioned it to hated it. <laughs> They thought it was a terrible name, but that made us kind of all the more determined to keep it. But yeah, it was easy to remember. It was it was direct, and you know the kind of nature of the music that we played. It, it was really bang on. So. Well, no, I, I mean, you know, for for me, music, you know, it's it's funny we're talking about the symbiosis between music and 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 football, and 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 for me, football and music have been lifesavers as well. You know, music gets you through times of. Uh, real strife and uh, I, I just was really intrigued i wondered if it had some sort of connection with that which it kind of kind of does anyway uh right first up um how did you become a chelsea supporter well first of all i've got to give a big shout out to uh, a guy who really made it all happen for me it's called andy provisor and uh, i'll come back to him in a minute but yeah, i met him whenever i was kind of in my mid-20s but whenever it's the first match i ever saw i mean i was four years of age my father had moved the family, he was from Belfast, and it, because of the troubles, he moved us out 16 miles out into a market country town called Ballyclare in County Adam. And I, I remember loads of people coming back from work with my dad. He was an engineer, and it was to watch the FA Cup final. And I only found this out later on. There was a team in white, there was a team in blue, it was Chelsea, it was Leeds. So that was the first time in my life I was aware of football because there was cans of beer, there was shouting. It was quite frightening, to be honest, you know what I mean, as, as a four-year-old kid. And then I changed, because I moved, to change primary schools. So whenever I went in, I sat beside a guy in school who ended up becoming a friend of mine up until I was about 15, 16, called Ivor Owens. And he had a, a blue, you know, one of those gym bags you used to get with Chelsea on it, with the, the crest or the, the, the lion rampant regard on it. And then I thought, okay, well, I've heard of Chelsea. And I began to talk to him. We became really good friends. And through Ivor, I got into Chelsea. So, you know, it was, we got into music together at the same time. You know, he had posters of Ray Wilkins on his wall. I remember him. I mean, he was only going to be about four, six or seven at the time. I remember kids at primary school teasing him because Stoke had beat them in the League Cup. Uh, you know, and, and, and then I began, as I realised it meant so much to him, and it ended up, again, I began to follow vicariously through him, and it, it was something that developed then in the years to follow. Yeah, I mean, I, I was intrigued because, I mean, you know, I know there's a lot of, lot of, I know a lot of lads from Northern Ireland who are massive, massive Chelsea supporters. Mm. But I'm also aware that the two big clubs, well, three, I suppose, Celtic, Liverpool, Man United. Yeah. And I mean, obviously United because of the Georgie Best connection. 
yeah. Celtic ones, obvious. Liverpool too, because they were so successful. So, you know, we uh, but but we've always had this pocket of of Northern Irish Chelsea fans. I think you yeah. know, I've always been aware of that. So I wondered if it had something to do with that. And I suppose, well, no, most most of the people where I were from supported Glasgow Rangers. Actually, oh well, there you go. Well, yeah, yeah, again, yeah, you know, so yeah. it was very you know, as you can imagine, the sectarian yeah, life. Yeah. So most people when I grew up actually had a Scottish team first, right. And then an English team second. And, and, you know, people either supported Linfield or, or Glen Torn or Cliftonville. Yeah. My local team was Ballyclare Comrades FC. <laughs> yeah. Well, I still, I still have a, a slight, a slight love for Winchester city. So, you know, yeah. because uh, you kind of have to really, uh, but having grown up here, never Southampton for pretty obvious reasons, I think. Mm-hmm. But my dad was a Portsmouth fan. So that, that makes it even oh, more okay. obvious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bless his heart. He, t- he took me, my first match was at, was at uh, Portsmouth. They were, I think they were in the third division then. I would have been about seven and it was incredibly violent and, and it was utter shit. Even at seven, I realised that what was being played out in front of me was just yeah. awful. And I think dad gave up and he thought, I better not take it to football anymore because he clearly hates it. But uh, he had the good sense to take me to Stamford Bridge in 76 for the, for the FA Cup semi-final between Southampton, would you believe, yeah. and Palace. I mean, what was a Portsmouth fan? Go, I, I don't know. But thank dad, thank you, mate, because the rest is history. So there we go. Um, now, you you mentioned Andy Provisa. Um he, you know, he was a press officer, wasn't he, uh, at A&M Records? But he was very instrumental in you getting to Stamford Bridge, wasn't he? He was. Well, well what happened is, as I got a bit older, I always kept an eye on Chelsea's scores. Now, whenever I got really into music, everything, you know, music and girls, football, I always looked out. I always watched Match of the Day. I always followed what Chelsea scored. But I'd, at this point in time, I'd never been to yeah. any big football stadium. I'd been to Windsor Park to see Northern Ireland. I've been to see Linfield, I've been to see Glen Torren, Lauren, Carrick Rangers, various games like that. But, you know, you're talking about 1,000 people, 1,500 people, sometimes we it. And then, you know, I, I was reignited when Pat Nevin came along. And there was a friend of my brother's, my younger brother, a friend called Ian Rutherford, and he was a Chelsea nut. So it shows you how, you know, at that point in time, I knew two Chelsea supporters in all of Northern Ireland. This lad Ian, it was my brother's friend, and, and this fella Ivor Rhodes. And I remember following Pat Nevin because he used to appear on John Peel, yeah. you know, as the footballer when he was in and there was pictures of him in NME. He loved the skids who I adored. Um, and anyway, long story short, the band had been going a few years. 1992, we signed to NM Records, which is, uh, was a major record label on the New King's Road in London. And it got the place. Joe Jackson had been on the label, Dina Carroll, um, all this kind of stuff. And whenever we signed the label, we Andy Prev, Andy Provisor was our press officer. And the first time we met him, I went into his office and he had Chelsea posters all around his wall. And I was going, oh, I'm a Chelsea fan. And we began to chat a bit. And so he, we went on chat and I said, well, I kind of like Chelsea too, you know, but you know, kind of lost a little bit of interest over the year. And he, he said, he kept saying, well, you should come. You should come to the game. He'll take you down. The guy that was a head of video, Robin Dean, he was a, a big Chelsea fan too. Um, but whenever we signed at NM, it was so hectic from, I think, September 92, right through to the next year. We'd released two albums, EPs, toured America twice, been all around Europe. I never got a chance to go. But uh, Andy took me to my first game in 1993. But that I've got Andy to thank because he kept saying, oh, you should come, you should come. And, and eventually, you know, he took me there. And, and we used to go together the games for, for years. And I've got him to thank because I think if he had, if I, it would have been a different press officer we'd have been assigned or we'd have been at a different label. It would have been a different story. I still would have followed the results, but I wouldn't have been 
fanatic, although I say I'm not. Uh, Andy, I, I mean, weirdly, I know I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I grew up down in Hampshire. Uh, why would I spend an hour and a half, two hours going to spend ninety minutes watching a football match? I just wasn't wasn't brought up with that. And it wasn't until I moved to London that I used to go a bit. And then it wasn't until my I, you know my brother-in-law turned up to be a, jig, a big Chelsea fan, and I moved back to London, and he made me go. Yeah, and we say you can't be a supporter and watch it on the bloody TV, mate. You got to go, you know. And and he took me along, and that you know, and I that's it. Like you get the bug, and off you go, you know. But I I know what you mean. I love the fact that everybody has a completely different path into this, because yeah. I, it, it kind of gets skewed. I've got so many. I mean, the the absolute hardcore of of Chelsea support are, are all great mates. They're like third, fourth generation supporters. I mean, they're born into it. They go from the age of four. They got season tickets when they're ten, you know. And it's it's like an anathema to them that somebody couldn't be asked to go because they live like you know hundred miles away or whatever. But anyway, we digress. Uh, now, so Andy would have taken you to your first game, right? Which was what the first game I went to. I actually would have done it for for years. Judge, I thought it was actually Everton because it was a it was a Monday night and it was a, a nil all draw. And actually, it was the 27th of November, 1993. It was Chelsea nil, Man City nil, and the attendance was 10,128. And it was like, I mean, the team was uh, Kareen, uh, Darren Barnard. And I remember being quite excited. And the five, the five, the original drummer, he came along as well because Mal Donaghy was the team, one of Northern Ireland's yeah, finest. Yeah, yeah. And also Steve Lomas was playing for Man City as well, another Northern Irish player. Eddie Newton, Gavin Peacock, uh, Mark Steen, Neil Shipperley, Jacob Gilbert. Um, and I mean, the, the game itself, I don't really remember that much about it. I remember being impressed with Peacock and Steen. And it was the most thing I remember was actually, you've got to remember at this point in time, I'd never been to a big football match. And it was Stamford Bridge and it was Chelsea. And whenever I mentioned to friends back home that, you know, I'm, I'm going to see Chelsea, they were like, ah, you know, because of the reputation, they're going, well, yeah. Are you going to be all right? It's going, yeah, I'll be fine. You know, it's, you know, the people I'm going with are great. I'm really looking forward to it. And it was, you know, getting to the famous Stamford Bridge, going for a few pints beforehand, and then just going to the game. And I think I was so in awe of the fact it was going to this, this ground to see this team. I didn't really take the, I mean, the game seemed to last five minutes. <laughs> and next thing we were back at, you know, Robin, the video guy for him, we're back at his house talking about the match. But the game itself just it went in a heartbeat. Yeah, I mean it does. I, I know, I know what you mean. Uh, I mean, I've got a memory like a sieve anyway. But I mean, true. I mean, I wasn't at that game. I, I would, I would have been. I, I kind of having been in London, I'd come back down for a few years actually. So I kind of wouldn't have been going to the odd game. I, I love the fact that we were 18th at the time. I mean, this is kind of the beginning, the real beginnings of uh, the Glen Hoddle era, isn't it? Before yeah. he started buying, you know, the likes of Rude Hullet. And I mean, obviously, we end up in the FA Cup final at the end of the season. But uh, yeah, it it was struggling to come together, really, wasn't it? I think is is the way to put it. But uh, there were seeds being sown. Ten thousand people. What was it? Was it beginning to be rebuilt? Rebuilt then? Because that's yeah. Low. I remember there was. Uh, it was a kind of bizarre where I sat, which I think was the old shed. I'm, I'm not even sure. It was run, it was really really run down. It was like a, it was actually like a Northern Irish ground, the part that sat, and it certainly wasn't in the East Stand where where it got season ticket and have sat ever since. Um, and it was all a bit. There was people wandering around. There were sitting there were people seated, but it was very. I remember it being a bit kind of not what I kind of expected from the photographs I'd seen, but it was very much a work in progress. Yeah, I mean, I looked 
I remember it not being very full, but I looked up online. Yes, it was ten thousand. That's that's really low. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of surprised by that. So, um, I'm intrigued. I mean, you know, the, the audience know this, but I, I've got all your answers in front of me. But um, I'm intrigued by your selection of favourite players growing up. I mean, I, mm. I because it's they're they're really from three different what I would call eras of Chelsea in a way. Yeah, yeah I mean the Pat Nevin thing. That was just because I met a friend of my brother's and I, I'd heard everyone knew Pat Nevin. You know, it was, it was, you know, it was like someone, as I said, really get into music. I'd learned to play guitar. I was forming bands and that took precedence over everything. But I would still watch Match of the Day. And, I would, and every time I saw Pat Nevin, you know, the way he, it was like, it was almost like some, a focus group in the 70s and 80s had, had done a winger. Tradition, like old school winger. He always seemed to have his arms out like that. You know, at number seven, he had the cuffs round. He, he had that kind of shaggy haircut. And at the time, I was kind of into Echo the Bunny Man and stuff like that, Comsat Angels and everything. And he had that haircut. Yeah. You know what I mean? And just every time I watched him play, and I knew he was into the skids, and they were a big band of mine. Um, and I just, I think I saw, I think it was a, that goal. The, the, that one where they were playing Sheffield Wednesday, the Carnival game, where they came back, and he had, I think he did it. He score. He scored. Uh, no, he set he, that one for the fourth. Where he sat Dixon the Carnival. He got the fourth goal, and um, you know, watching him that season with him and Speedy and and Dixon as well. That eighty three to eighty four season, and that was kind of got me kind of back into the football again. If that makes any sense, yeah. It, yeah. It took Nevin, knowing that he loved all those stories about him. Um, what the one I love, it's in his book, The Accidental Footballer, too, is the Man City game that the second division, whenever they, it was on a Friday, Friday night. night game, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he actually scored, he scored from a really tight angle that night, it was on BBC Two. And in his book, he tells a story that he played the game, and afterwards, the rest of them got on the team bus to go back to London, but he wanted to go to the Hacienda, yeah. He goes to the Hacienda, right? He then, after that, at three in the morning, he sleeps on a bench at Piccadilly Station <laughs> and, and gets the milk train back. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I can't imagine anyone, any footballer, even you know, the, the championship now, it's just incredible. No, I mean, he, he was, and I, 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 you know, number one, I, I totally get your... You're, I mean, we were so shit between about '78 and and then when John Neal came in and he he brought fight the five in the famous five including Pat and Kerry, um, and then yeah, it just reignited things. I, I moved up to London that year in '84. I went to university up in London in uh, would have been uh, kind of September October '84, so it was the next season. But you know, already the 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 vibe around the place was was immense. But I I absolutely I had two heroes grow you know, of that era. One is Kerry, who I'm delighted to say has become a really really good mate, and the other was Pat. And you couldn't have got two more different footballers. Yeah. Kerry, the archetypal Royal the Rovers, no nonsense. Come and drink ten pints of lager with you after the match. All the girls around him, and Pat. As he says, I mean, his biography is brilliant. I mean, I, as you probably know, I interviewed him about it, and it's it's a brilliant read. And accidental footballer sums Pat up because Pat Kerry was everything I wanted to be and could never be: big, tall, six foot, blue eyes, blonde hair. Yeah. And Pat was like me, but with immense yeah. talent because I was into the same music. Was a weedy, skinny little bloke with a funny haircut. 
you know, read, read strange books, you know, that was me. And, and I couldn't believe that there was a footballer who looked like me, who liked the same. And I fell in love with the guy. And of course, other than that, absolutely brilliant footballer. I mean, what he could do with a football was amazing, wasn't it? It was. I mean, as you say, you're right about Kerry Dixon. Kerry Dixon looks like the lad that's brilliant at football at school. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he, he like that. And as you said, Roger Rovers. But Pat was kind of, and also at the time, I, you know, I was kind of, he was only two years older than us, I think, two years older than us. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, it was almost, like, identifiable. You know, I was I was never good at football. And, and I, whenever I went to, um, I got me 11 plus, I went to a grammar school and they did not play football. So I used to play football when I was a kid. Went to a grammar school and they only played rugby. Uh, so we never got, a, I only played football on Saturday mornings with my mates. But seeing someone like, you know, like Pat and Evan, and it's, it's just the way he played, it was the way he carried himself. And, you know, you know, everyone knew he was mates with John Peel. Everyone knew that he kind of, he lived with Adrian Thrills, didn't he, from NME as well like that. He was, he made a, the NME mentioned him. Yeah. And the NME at that point in time, when you read it, it was all, it was Joy Division, it was Nick Cave black and white photographs by Anton Corbin, yeah. very, very pretentious. Yeah. The fact that they actually, actually it would include Pat and Evan was amazing. Amazing. And that's some of those photographs of him that time too. He looks so cool, doesn't he? he does, with those yeah. yeah, he's a one-off. And, and, and again, another one of that lot that I've, I've got to know, and he's, a, he's an absolutely fine gentleman with an absolutely superb taste in music, as you, as you so rightly say. Um, I'm going to, well, who's the next one? Cause you've got three of your favourite players growing up. So who's the next one? Um, Zola mm. is Zola because I think I started calling them. Uh, I started going to the games. I got a season ticket in. Well, it was ninety three, ninety four season. The first went. I went to the Man City game. I went to a, a Villa game after that, which is one all. And then I got to the the Kerry Dixon semi final. Mm. We won two 0 with those Peacock calls. I was at that with Andy Provisor. I was in Bliss, Idaho, whenever we were in the cup final. And I think I'll tell this story now because it's funny because the night of the FA Cup final, which we, we lost 4-0, we were in America on tour and we, and we had a day off and we said, let's find somewhere to watch the Cup final. So we stopped in all these different hotels and went, you know, are you showing the FA Cup final tomorrow? And they just looked at us. My <laughs> kids, you know, we, we got to Idaho and there was a big sign up outside a Holiday Inn going, you know, 94 soccer convention. And we went, yes, yes, yes. We piled into this Holiday Inn. And went up and said, are you showing the English FA Cup final? What? <laughs> you know, the FA Cup final for me? Is this a soccer like, Yes, sir, this is a soccer convention. And then, are there any rooms? Yes, sir, there's rooms. And nobody knew. People had laminates with uh, Idaho soccer convention. And no one knew what the FA Cup was. Mm-hmm. So we ended up, ended up in a town called Bliss, Idaho, population 310 people. And I just went to bed. And the next day, I remember Mickey Winder, who was my guitar tech and a huge Liverpool fan, just said, you get battered, mate. And I went, what? He went, you get battered. Because, you know, no one had a mobile phone those days. He had run home. And I heard the, the result. And it was like, I phoned Andy, Pervaser, from a truck stop in um, it's somewhere in Idaho later on that day to ask him just how bad it was. And he said, it wasn't actually that bad. But he said it was just a capitulation at the end of and I was really pissed off. Yeah. You know, so I had a gig to do that night as well. So, yeah. Well, yeah. you get a bit of the, you know, anger and bitterness out, you know, with the old guitar. Well, well, it does help. I have, you know, I have done, I've been kind of a manager tries to dissuade me from going to gigs <laughs> on the day of gigs because, you know, and I, and I have done it. I went to all kinds of lengths to, to see Chelsea, you know, going home early after a gig's over, 
flying home first thing the next day, whatever. But yeah, anyway, back to Zola. So it started, I got my season ticket then for the 94, 95 season. Started going a lot. And I think Gianfranco Zola, you know, was going to Stanford Bridge at a season ticket. I was, whenever, bear in mind this point in time, therapy was always on tour a lot. And I, there was a group of, I think five of us went, three of us had season tickets, me, Robin and Andy. So what we do is if I was away, some of our other mates would go on my ticket and you know, vice versa. But it was like whenever Zola came, it was, you know, it came from for me seeing them play Man City in a law, 10,000 people on a cold Monday night in November 93 to just this absolute magician <laughs> to just rock up at the club. And it was like, uh, I was at so many, I was there so many times to see, you know, that one game where uh, at Stamford Bridge, it was one all, and Ferguson ended up calling him a little so and so. Yes. I was there. I was at that game. You were at that, that game. That, isn't that the one where he put uh, Irwin and uh, Pallister on his arse? He did. Irwin slid in his arse. Yeah. Irwin, Irwin went in, slid in his arse, and then he really tight by the byline, got the goal. It was absolutely sublime. And, you know, to have witnessed that, as someone, you know, that had only ever dreamt of going to Stanford Bridge, yeah. do that. You know, the, uh, the other one, I remember we got tickets to the FA Cup final, semi final at Highbury, uh, the Wimbledon game when mm. he was to and uh, Zola got that amazing cutback, you know, which he just scored that incredible goal. I remember being at Highbury for that. Oh, a good one and, to be at. Yeah, and it was just, you know, I was able to go and see him play. And it was um, also at that point in time, I should point out, had met the woman that's now my wife. Now, I used to have to fly over to games. So I, would, I was living in Bray in the Republic of Ireland at the time. And to go and see Chelsea, I would fly from Dublin to London, go to the game. And then fly back to Dublin either that night or the next day. And I'd recently met a girl, as I said, it's now my wife, and she lived in Kingston upon Thames. So getting to Chelsea was absolutely brilliant. So, you know, I could go over. She had a flat and she was working in Brentford. So whenever I met her, I was like, oh my God, you know what I mean? I could, I could go to so many games. Whenever the band wasn't on tour, we weren't out doing anywhere. And that made things a lot easier and a lot less expensive. Well, hell yeah. I, I, there's a lovely bloke, actually, who, uh, who will be listening to this show. So I'll shout him out as Paul, Paul McAvoy. And he, he comes over every... I mean, you know, this, this is what I mean, as I was saying earlier. I was too lazy to come from Winchester, for God's sake. And I've now met people who come from all around the world. And Paul flies over from Dublin every home match. Wow. Always comes to the CFC UK store. Always comes to say hello, gives you a big handshake. I'll raise a glass of Guinness to you, Paul. You know, he's a brilliant lad. And there's so many that do that incredible yeah. absolutely i'm not worthy anyway right so we got pat nevin we got franco zola two mm-hmm. two shoe-ins really i think yeah. for many people's favorite players obviously you know flair players the third one is an interesting choice I, yeah. I i i embrace and like your choice here some may not but i get it i think let's hear why well it's dennis wise mm. and yes there's controversy uh you know the taxi incident etc cetera, etc cetera. But two reasons. Whenever I well, whenever I first started going to see Chelsea, I whether it's music or whether it's football, I like to see people that care. You go and see the clash. Joe Strummer's got sweat running down his face. You go and see Killing Joke. Jazz Coleman, his veins are bursting in his head. Dennis Wise is Jazz Coleman. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like he cares. And whenever I went to see them play, he always cared. He would get angry. He would he would he would put in a shift. And yes, he was problematic at times, but there's a few things that make him stick out for me. One of them was um, the time that my son was born. He was born on the 26th of October, 1999. 
And he was born at four o'clock in the morning in Kingston Hospital. And that was the day of the AC Milan Sincero with that goal. So four o'clock in the morning, someone's born. I go over back to our flat. By the way, it was directly across King's, from Kingston Hospital. It was like literally a five-minute walk. So my wife and my son, Jonas, stay there. I come back the next day at 12, and they send me away and say, we're moving your, your wife and son into a room, come back about five or six. And I come back about five or six that night, and then and the nurse overheard my wife, bless her, saying, well, do you not want to go back and watch the football? And the nurse said, well, we can bring a TV in here if you want. There's one next door. And I kid you not, my son was 14 hours old <laughs> in my arms. My wife is fast asleep when he scored that goal. Brilliant. He was in my arms when Beerhoff got the first goal, you know what I mean? And I was trying not to wake him. I was holding yeah, yeah, this yeah. little thing in my arm. So that's, I'll always associate that with Dennis Wise. You know, I can't help it. Yeah. And then, you know, I think, you know, obviously this, the, the assist he did at Stuttgart for, for Zola. Yeah. But another thing that really made me stand out for him was, do you remember the Galatasaray Welcome to Hell? Yeah. Five and, Hell yeah. and, and the whole build up to that on the television, there was one bit, and it did look, I mean, for me, and this is someone that grew up in Northern Ireland, yeah. it, when they arrived at the ground, it looked absolutely terrifying. And it was, they tried to you know, they tried to cajole and bother the bus. But there's one brilliant shot, I remember, of them being on the bus, being hurried the whole way there by the supporters. And there's just this look of wise, and he's completely bemused looking. He's just kind of like shrugging looking. It obviously hadn't got to him or he didn't show it. And then during the game, he got that fourth goal and he just had this little smile about him. And I sort of thought that's how you handle pressure. Mm. That, and that's how you lead by example. Yeah, no fear. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I loved him. I absolutely loved him to pieces. And uh, I mean, actually, like a lot of people, I didn't love him when he turned up because of course he was so associated with Wimbledon, wasn't he? And the crazy no. gang. But, uh, you know, he was our most successful captain of all time for a while. He was, you know? yeah. So that, that, I think he deserves a lot of respect. And I think he was a lot better player than people ever gave him credit for. You know? Well, that goal against Liverpool when, uh, in 92, when Vinny Jones got the first one, I think it was our first victory yeah. at Anfield yeah. for 38 years. Yeah. Yeah. And he got the second goal, took it really well. Vinny Jones, as you said, with the Wimbledon, Billy Jones got yeah. the first one. But, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no. Good old Wisey. Uh Right, okay. Excellent choices there, actually, Andy. I enjoyed that. Right, now we've got... Um, I have to say, you haven't quite outdone Mr. Meehan here, who chose <laughs> about 50 of his favourite matches. What I will say, Andy, is the you've got some brilliant choices in here. I would never have thought in a million years that you'd have chosen some of these, and I'm, I cannot wait to hear about them. Let's start with the first one, which is against Middlesbrough, right? Yeah, the reason I chose these, were, well, apart from, you know, one of, the, one of the obvious ones aside was that it's what, what it meant to me as a Chelsea supporter. And I thought, why the standout for me? And the first one was against Middlesbrough. It was, a, it was like a 4th of February, 96. It was 5-0 to Chelsea. Both teams were mid-table. Um, and, the re- and the Peacock got a hat-trick. But I remember it was, it, was a, it was a great day. I met up with all my friends. I brought a friend of mine was over from Belfast. And he had never been to Stamford Bridge either. And I managed to get him a ticket beside me in the East Stand. And I thought, you know, and I was kind of thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm a season ticket holder. You know, this is what I do. Go and see Chelsea now, blah, blah, blah. And then I sort of thought before, we going, what if we lose? <laughs> <laughs> but I think what it was, I think, you know, from what I remember, it was like, you know, Peacock got a goal from a corner. Um, it was the football was... It was it was really really good, 
It was flowing, flowing. Now, Middlesbrough weren't that great. Uh, there's no Juninho that day. But Spencer got a really good, a great goal from the set. It was a really tight angle. He scored that. And Spencer, what a player. Um, and then for the third goal, uh, Peacock got it again. But then there's that brilliant for the fourth goal. Anyone that remembers the match, Hulick did this amazing crossfield ball um, to Petrescu, who got it in and Furlong got the goal. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, watching that, just sitting in the East End watching that crossfield ball from Hulick, and then Hullet, and then Peacock got his hat trick. Mm-hmm. And as a match, I mean, it's it was you know the, as you said as I said mid table clash, but seeing Hullet, uh seeing a hat trick, even things like I remember the Borough fans whenever. We were chanting, we want five, and they were chanting, we want one. <laughs> I'll never forget that, John. That went in really good. And it was, um, I think, like that was, I think, am I right in saying that was our best ever Premier League result? Up to that time, I think it was, yeah. yeah. I think it was. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you, you you know, you, the, the difference between your first match, which was very early in Hoddle's uh, managerial reign, and now, now it's clicking. You know, and that's you know, you got Peacock and Spencer, the little the little guys. Of course, I don't know if Mark Steen was uh, around. He wasn't. He wasn't. Think, he wasn't yeah. playing, was he? But we had these three little strikers, didn't we? And they would buzz around, and you got Hullet pinging balls from everywhere. And it, we played some wonderful football at the time. Other interesting thing about that match that was uh, Jody Morris's debut. Came on for Spenny yeah. on uh, seventy-two minutes. And I, I remember, like, I watched it again just to make sure, because I knew it was coming on the show. And it was great. You know what they had. The, I watched the highlights of it. Were fantastic. Yeah. So I wasn't imagining that it was a fantastic game of football. And I think it was just as you mentioned there, everything was coming together. The football itself was quick. It was it was flowing and it was exciting. Yeah. You know, it was as I say. But what made it for me was it a mate over from Belfast yeah. too. So it was kind of enlarging it a little bit. Yeah, you've got it. <laughs> one time now. I've been there. My best mate, loving to pieces. I grew up with him down here. Massive Southampton fan. So I really knows his football. Uh, and. Uh, for his birthday, would you believe? I went balls out and said, oh, I, I'll tell you what, mate, why don't we just go? Because he likes football, so it was, a, it was a no-brainer, really. I said, come on, let's go and watch Chelsea play. I'll get your ticket next to me. We can go in the pub, have a few beers. And uh, I said, and, and then, of course, you know, you'll see some decent football for a change. You know, so I went I went large. And uh, it was the night we beat Everton 5-0 under Conte. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I had him sat next to me saying, mate, this is unbelievable. He said, I've never seen anything like this. So, I mean, talk about lucking out. I mean, my luck, it would have been Chelsea would have got absolutely done three or four nil by somebody who they shouldn't have lost to. But no, that night it all worked perfectly. So I know what you mean. Um, Now, your next choice is, um, I mean, a no-brainer, really. I think for anybody of that this kind of generation, uh, we'd waited long enough, hadn't we? We had uh, yeah the FA Cup final ninety seven and I actually had to move my wedding <laughs> my, my wedding was the, um, meant to be that day the the seventeenth um, of May I had to move my wedding to the twenty fourth after good work did. Andy how the hell did you swing that and what notice did uh, you give I, I just think I just said yes to everything else on the day <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah they can come oh yeah magnolia yeah we can have that color whatever you want yeah. But no, it was. Uh, I'd been to the. I'd been to the. You know, the semi final. I think that was, and the run up to it as well was the Leicester game, wasn't it? Yeah. As well, and it was at that game with Andy. I remember we went to that game, and that penalty, which you know, the non penalty, and listening to Danny Baker ranting and raving on the radio afterwards, and he, I think he got fired the next day, didn't he? Shame. <laughs> he said, it's a scandal. It's a scandal. <laughs> we were all laughing in the car, and Andy Provisor was driving. We were all laughing. It's a scandal. 
But then we got we got tickets to the FA Cup final, and uh, it was just you know it, it almost as if that first that first day in 1993 had all been leading up to this. Yeah. And it was I was I had a real sense of pride, and mm-hmm. you know I, I talked earlier about that FA Cup final. You know, thank, thank God I wasn't at that Man United Cup final because you know it was such agony for so many people. Mm-hmm. But it just all fell into place, and and I remember you know we all went. We went for a few drinks around Wembley beforehand, went to the game. And there used to be this this guy went with us called Adam. And his thing was he always used to, it was either him or his wife used to make like cupcakes and bits of cakes. And he would turn up, he couldn't do it now, but he used to bring them into Stamford Bridge and share them out. And he brought some cakes to Wembley. And I remember whenever we got that second goal, I turned around and he was in floods of tears. Yeah. And he's a London lad, you know, yeah, so yeah. he had unlike me he had been gone since yeah. he was really tiny and he was in complete floods of tears he just kept going we've done it we've, we've done it we've done it and he could hardly speak yeah. uh and it was you know i can't even i mean i was there when the goal went in i was at the opposite behind the opposite goal and it whenever the goal went in it was almost like did that just happen because it was what 42 yeah. seconds yeah. um but no it was um it was an incredible day. I ended up, because my, my wife, we were getting married in Dublin. She was over doing the preparations for the wedding that weekend. She was in Dublin in my house. I was at the game and she gave me the key to her flat in Kingston. And I, I ended up that night because everybody else eventually went home. And I just remember being in some random pub in West London, <laughs> you know, at closing time with a bunch of strangers, <laughs> just with a bit of scarf around my neck and stuff. But, you know, that that was what an incredible day. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I just you know, it was a beautiful day. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't maybe it's too strong word, but I just felt vindicated being a Chelsea fan that day. It was amazing. No, it, it was. It was. I mean. It- you're so right. I mean, I can understand there. I had a lot of mates who were there who equally were in tears. And I mean, I have mates that I still. I mean, some of whom I still go to games with now. But they were. Uh, they would actually every year on the anniversary of the 1970 Cup final, they would you know meet at one of the house, one of their houses and and listen on a on a on a record an lp of to the bbc commentary of the 1970 and that they would celebrate that every year yeah you know so to, to take 20 i mean it was 27 years wasn't it to come back and win it it was huge and in a sense that was the height of our ambitions it wasn't ever going to get any better than that for a lot of people i mean you know of course it did very famously but uh, I can understand the emotion. Sadly, I had screwed up royally because being such a, a pessimist, I didn't think we'd get to the FA Cup final again so soon after having got there in 94. So I was on holiday with my wife in St. Lucia. <laughs> so I, I and I had to have a well actually you know quite easy to have a media blackout there. I mean I know yeah. we had phones and things but I just turned the damn thing off. But I recorded it uh, on VHS in good old VHS in those days. I'd record pre-recorded it if you like. So the minute I got home, I basically literally dropped the bags at the door and turned the TV on, uh, you know, played played the video cassette and watched it and then got to the end and then rewound it and watched it again. It was just blissful. Blissful. But I... But Andy, I'd, I'd have given anything to have been there. I really dropped one on that one. But there you go. Don't be so negative, Chidge. I think that's the, that's the moral of the story. Believe, you know. Anyway, um, you now. I mean, actually, talking about interesting choices. I mean, you've got one absolutely, you know, no brainer on here, obviously. But you've uh, got some really interesting recent choices. This is fairly recent. This is from two thousand and five. This one. I, I think I know why you you put this one in. 
Yeah, I mean, it's the, the well, Claude Michael only scores a goal, but we'd, we'd already, the reason why this meant so much to me was that season, I was away for most of it. Yeah. We were on tour, we were in the studio twice, we were on tour, and I have a friend called Diamond Dave, he, he's, uh, he's from Northern Ireland, uh, and he sells, he used to sell merch for bands, he's a teacher, but he would also sell merchandise for bands on tour. Um, t-shirts and all that kind of stuff and he had my ticket that year and he went to most of the games because he was teaching in Shepherd's Bush as well and um, I hardly went to any of the games and I was like and I knew we were doing I knew the football was amazing and I would go to the odd game and he had my season ticket and it just so happened that I was home for that challenge game and I remember we had a bit of a barney because <laughs> he was going why are you getting to go and I said it's my ticket. And it's called, <laughs> I've been going to the games, cheering the team on, and you haven't been here. I should go. That's gone. And I pulled rank. And um, eventually, in the end, he actually got a ticket himself from somebody else. But um, And I met up with him afterwards. And his first re- words to me were just Claude McAuley. Mm. And it was, you know, we'd already won it. Frank had done brilliantly in, in both and stuff like that. But it was, you know, to, again, it was that moment just seeing it happen. It wasn't a great game. It was, it was a pretty terrible game, in fact. But it was a sunny day seeing them lift the trophy, being there for that moment in time is just something that I will never forget. Yeah, it was. I, I remember that very, very well. I mean, it was, as you said, it was, I mean, we'd obviously, I mean, I don't know if you managed to get to Bolton. I didn't get to Bolton, no, which no. really pissed me off at the time. Couldn't get a ticket. But, um, I, I mean, the, the one, you know, silver lining in the cloud of not being at Bolton was the fact that after the match, about 3,000 of us went to Stamford Bridge and basically had a party. Yeah. And I ended up, I, this is, mad stuff happened that night, but I ended up, I ended up drinking and jumping and leaping about with, uh, with, um, with Paul, hang on, get this right, Paul Cook from the Pistols. Pistols, wow. In the Imperial pub where, where Matthew Harding used to drink. We were all, well, we drank in all the pubs really, but I I don't know what hour it was, but it was way past closing time. And it was just mad, like 3,000 people in the Fulham Road. So I did get to do that rather than being in Bolton. But as you say, this was when we lifted it and it was really special to be there. And again, another moment that very few of us ever thought we'd see, uh, you know. Yeah, and McLean, of course, he missed it. You know, I was, I was not, like, and, and the McLean, I don't think I'd ever thought I'd see him score either, quite. Well, that, well, that was it. I mean, that, I think that was just like, it made it, it was a little quirk that just made the day all the more memorable for me. But I think what got it for me was I just kept hearing through this mate of mine, Dave, about all the, I mean, I saw the matches, obviously the highlights, but I missed so many of them. Mm. And, you know, we had these huge, we were in Europe quite a lot. You know, we did a UK, we did a long Irish tour and, I was missing all the games, and it was really, really frustrating because I wanted to be there. Yeah, yeah. That the uh, that's, I mean, it, I mean, it's a good point actually. I mean, it must be. I mean, you've got a season ticket in the in the East Stand. How, how long have you had that now? Uh oh. So since ninety four and ninety five season. So you jumped straight in with two feet. Yeah, yeah. Good man. But I mean, that must be hard because obviously, if you're touring, you're away for a lot. I mean, you can be away for a long time, can't you? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, since about. 2011 12 it's been um it's been a lot better because oh, yeah. we're, we're all older now and all of us have been, you know, at the time up until uh 2001 i was the only one with any children you know i mean no, none of the rest of the band members had any kids we've all got kids now and we kind of build our tours around you know we do two weeks at a time whereas in those days you just didn't say no because yeah. in the music business you never knew no. when or you know, what would happen next and we said yes to everything. 
But these days I've learned to say no. So like if there's an important match on, I will phone our management and go, oh yeah, on the 17th of April, I'm not available. Why? I'm just not available. You know what I mean? <laughs> I will do that unless it's something which is, you know, can't get out of like a really important festival or something like that. I'll, we'll do that. I, I like that. I like that attitude a lot. But I mean, you know, you've been around for, the band have been around for what, 30 years now? 32, yeah. 32 yeah. years. And, you know, you've put to bed, I mean, how many albums have you, I, mean, I can't count that quickly. How many have you done? 15. 15, 15 albums, two um, greatest hits albums and a live album. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's an extensive catalogue by anybody's measurement. So that makes you a very successful and a very established band. You've got every right to, like, you know, choose what you do, I think. Yeah, but we're, we I'd never really crossed my mind to do that until a bit later on. Yeah. But I think what helped is, you know, our, our drummer, Neil Cooper, he's a season ticket holder, bless him, at Derby County as well. God, yeah. my heart bleeds. I know, I know. He's a lot, a lot of very painful nights yeah. for him, but... Um, at least he had Frank Lampard as manager for a season. Well, well, that was it, and that was one of the things actually, because he, you know, it was, he was telling me at the time, you know, that people in the town were going on like what a great lad Frank Lampard was, and he would, he would, he would, he would be spotted around town, and of course he married a, a great Northern Irish woman, yeah, Christy. Yeah, but yeah, no, no, Neil would always, Neil the drummer would always tell us, you know, Frank, he's he's been in and around the town, and people are in restaurants and, mm. and shops are always saying he's polite, he stops for autographs, yeah. and, and they loved him up there, of course, absolutely loved yeah. him. Up there decent bloke so there you go right uh next one uh, you know i i think i would i think i would be correct in saying that everybody that i've done a my chelsea with have chosen this match and if they haven't i would want to know why well i wasn't there unfortunately so i, I didn't get a take i watched it at home and it was i think when, when we got through in 2008 and lost to, to man united our manager, uh, we've had a manager, same manager for years, is a massive Man United fan. And he actually phoned me up and said, right, should we get tickets? Me and you will go together. I've got a connection. We can go to Moscow. And I said, yes. And the next day I phoned him up and said, Jerry, I'm not going. And he went, why not? And I had a really bad feeling about it. I'm not superstitious. Yeah. But I thought, we play quite a lot. We used to, we used to play quite a lot in Russia. And it can be a dark old place, but you know, our kind of music they like over there and we've been there a lot. And I thought, I don't fancy this. I don't fancy the trip. And, you know, I love the team. Yes, on paper, we could easily do Man United. But I've got a really bad feeling about this. And that's what I said to him. I phoned him up and says, don't get the tickets. Him, well, I'm, I'm going to order them now. I was going to, don't, because I've, I've got a bad feeling. But with Munich, I was a, a bit more relaxed about it because everybody, nobody gave us a chance. Nobody at all. It wasn't even like a few people said Chelsea would be tough. It was like, Literally, they'd printed the congratulations, Bayern Munich. It was the same Man City a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. And that made it all the sweeter yeah. for me. It was with Man City. They, they'd literally given them the trophy. It was in their cabinet. Yeah. And people were already walking past it in, in their stadium watching it. And that's when I... It made me relax a bit. Also, that Napoli game, obviously, with Ivanovic scored that goal. Were you there for that? Yeah. I was yeah. there. And it was, I, was, I was at most of the game. I was at most of the home games in that run-up. As well, I, I timed it really, really well. I was at most of the home games for that. Felt really confident. The only bit I wobbled during the game, I mean, it wasn't a great game, was it? But I was nervous the whole way through it. I couldn't relax. My, my, my son was in the kitchen. You, my, my wife had said to me, it was a big day for your dad, you know, so keep a low profile and you know, just kind of like you'll see after the game. And I, and I bought a fridge full of beers and I said, I'm only going to drink them if we win. If not, you know, we can give them away. 
And it was only when Drogba gave away that that penalty that I feared for the worst. The rest yeah. of the time, I thought. And, and funny, I watched that documentary recently where Matt is being interviewed, and he said that Drogba's head went down, and he, and, and Matt actually said to him, "Didi, you know, we might get something in a minute here. Keep your head up." And of course, Matt got that corner and he scored. But yeah, that that was the one point whenever I thought this couldn't go our way. But when we got it in the end, I mean, what a night! And it was um, our, at this point in time, we had a tour manager who's still with us now called Richard Baker. Uh, and he's a massive Chelsea fan as well. So he had started working for us as well. And um, the fellow that I mentioned earlier, Dave Diamond, Dave, our t-shirt, said, God bless his soul. He had had a stroke uh, two weeks before the game and he couldn't watch it. <laughs> he, he couldn't watch the match he, because he didn't want to put himself in any further danger. And I, I phoned him just before the match. He was out walking his dog and he said, please don't text me. Please don't send me any updates. I've told my wife, you know, I'm, I'm just going to go for a walk. See, he, at this point in time, he had lived, he was living up in Yorkshire. And he said, you know, I'm nowhere near the ground. You know, I'm, I'm nowhere. I'm, I'm, please just let me be. And that was it. And I was kind of, I was concerned that he wasn't well. You know, our tour manager was ringing me going, you yeah, know, we could, we, we could do this. But at the end of it, I was... I'm probably not the only one watching from home. I was in shock. I was in complete shock. I was just, and then my phone started pinging with loads of people I knew. And but I mean, what? And I, I mean, were you there? Did you get to go? Yeah, I, I was. I mean, the, the story, you know, it's just talk about Chelsea having it written in the stars. I mean, that was the about. Well, it would have been that January. Uh, my production company went went horribly bust. We lost. We went down owing about half a million. I lost about 50 grand. So I'm I didn't have any work. So I didn't have any money. So I only made the Napoli match. I when I went up to the because I was still living in uh, in Pimlico at the time. So I went I went up to the match to go and have a few beers in the pub, you know, maybe watch it on the TV down there. And uh bottom line is a mate of mine uh had a spare ticket and he said, "Oh, you know, you can have it for 40 quid." I said, "Yeah, but like would would have it for 40 quid. I don't have 40 quid." Anyway, Marco Worrell on the stall sold a couple of my our T-shirts. We had these uh, Chelsea Fancast T-shirts, and I literally got forty quid with half an hour before kickoff. Grabbed the ticket off Dave, went into the shed end, and it was just—it's one of the best. That's one of the best games I've ever seen, just for atmosphere. Yeah. But the the final itself, you know, I didn't think I'd have enough loyalty points, uh, or 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 even money to go. And and literally the week before, I got. I got a gig. I, I wasn't doing it. It was, the, it was literally it was the last bloody thing I made for TV. It was awful. It was some awful show about football and sport and ad ad football adverts. And I ended up doing the, uh, you know producing this show. And uh, I was supposed to start on the Saturday because I'd got the gig. The first thing I did was, and by that time, I had enough loyalty points, so. Uh, I got a ticket and and booked a flight. I mean, the only flight I could get was going stupid o'clock in the morning, coming back same, you know, stupid o'clock at night. And I thought, shit, well, I can't start it on the Saturday. And uh, the executive producer was a mate of mine who was a big Man United fan. And uh, and I said to his uh, his production secretary, I said, look, I, I can't I can't start until Monday. She said, well, why not? I said, well, I'm going to be in Munich at the Champions League final. I said, talk to Ben, he'll understand. And she put the phone down saying, well, well, I don't know about that. Anyway, she phoned back five minutes later. Says, ben says, don't come back too pissed or hungover on Monday. 
Brilliant. Which I thought was brilliant of him. So I, yeah. I did go in and out on the day and an amazing day. All my lot. I mean, it was we'd been doing the, the fan cast for about four years by then. And funny enough, we started the show before the, just the, literally the, the first game we covered was the semi-final against Liverpool at home. That mad game. Yeah. So we obviously covered uh, Moscow. I didn't fancy it either. And I also got a gig, uh, which meant I couldn't even watch it. I was actually directing, of all things, Ricky Bloody Tomlinson doing a live stand-up show for two nights. The most awful, god-awful thing I've ever seen. And you would have thought that Tomlinson, being a massive scouser, yeah. Would have like been, you know, rooting for Chelsea. Not a bit of it. He spent the entire two nights taking the piss out of me, the shit. And yeah. uh, and I went back to the hotel. I, I, I actually had a, um, you know, those little kind of portable kind of Casio TVs you used to have yeah. back in the day. I'm directing a five camera shoot in a in a cupboard, basically. So I've got five monitors in front of me where I'm supposed to be directing these cameramen. All I'm looking at for the entire time is this Casio thing banging it trying to get a picture i couldn't get a picture apart from on two occasions andy one was when ronaldo scored and the other was when jt missed the penalty that's the only two things i saw of any clarity so i have no idea what's happened but i know it's bad and i got back to the hotel and guess what the hotel was full of manx so this is in runcorn right (laughs) it's full of manx and i just i i said to the crew i said look i said i'll buy you all a drink and then I'm off. I can't be dealing with this. And to this day, I've never seen the whole match. Yeah, I won't do I, it. I understand? Yeah, I, I can't. I mean, I, I'm, I don't know about you. I can't watch match of the day if we lose. No, I can't. No. I just can't do it. I can't watch. I can't watch it. There's a game we're going to talk about later on that I thought when I knew I was going to talk to you, I, I should really watch it, the highlights of it again, and I couldn't bring myself to do it. Yeah, yeah. I, can't, I can't. Why put myself through it again? Exactly. We were there. Why do it again? That's, well, I totally agree. I mean, the, the the Munich final was just amazing. I mean, I was. I mean, when when uh, the penalty. I mean, I was convinced Didier was going to miss it, obviously, because I'm such a pessimist. This is the trouble. If you grow up supporting Chelsea when they were shit, you never expect them for good outcome. You know. So I was that. I basically was so convinced he was going to miss it. I, I basically I didn't sit down, but I sat sat kind of back on the back of the seat. And I thought, well, fuck it. I'm going to light up a cigarette because they can kick me out now and it won't matter because he's going to miss it anyway. Yeah. And I, so I barely looked. And then, of course, he puts it in. I just went nuts. But I, I broke down in tears. It was the same thing. I mean, for me, growing up as a kid, you know, watching Liverpool win the, win the European Cup, you know, back to back and then Forest. I mean, everybody winning it. We were in the second division. I never thought I would see Chelsea win the European Cup. I just never, I saw, it was just too much. And I, and I looked around me and there were blokes my age all absolutely weeping buckets. Um, one of the first people I, I, I bumped into, I didn't realise he was standing literally about, I don't know, 10 people. It was, uh, was, bed, uh, was, um, was, uh, was um, oh, I'm having a brain fart here. Bedders um, from, from Madness. Oh, wow. wow. No, Bushes, <laughs> Bushes from Madness. I'm getting confused because Bedders is the original basis. Bushes, Graham Bush. Uh, basically took over him and he's quite a good mate of ours he used to come and see us at the stall a lot and i gave him a big hug and then martin wickham who's on the podcast with us he, he was there and just all this suddenly saw all these people that i know really really well that i had no idea that were sitting near me suddenly and it was just such a weird feeling and then then basically had to hot foot it back to the uh to the airport and get back but i did make the parade as a result uh the oh, next day wow. whereas all of all of the fan cast mob they'd hired a hired a minibus and they went about a week before and came back about a week later. I mean, they just got pissed for a week. 
that's quite a trip, isn't yeah, it? They had a great time out there. So I missed that, but I was you're right. I mean I, I, I'm I I'm really blessed to have been there. Nothing, that is the greatest night of my life. Sorry, Mrs. Chidge. Uh, but that is the greatest <laughs> night of my life. Nothing will ever surpass that. And I didn't make Porto uh last year because of the whole it was just such ball ache to get out there, COVID, massively expensive, very few tickets available. But you know what? I'm not that bothered because even if I had gone to Porto, it wouldn't have got close to what happened no, in Munich. Absolutely not. So, you know, but it's funny old stuff, isn't it? But anyway, glad you chose that one. Would have been surprised had you not. Sorry that you weren't there. Now, I'm turning the tables on you because the next one, which is a legendary match, I I couldn't make this. There was some mad reason why I couldn't. I can't remember why I couldn't go. And I'm so pissed off I never made it because it, it was hilarious, this match, for all the wrong and the right reasons. <laughs> Chidge. JK, in all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. (laughs) It's all too much. (laughs) I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep. NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Uh, but yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> but where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18+, plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, and I think I mentioned to you earlier that you know, I there's some some of the brilliant seasons where we've been amazing. I haven't been able to make that many games. This 15-16 season, when we finished tenth, I was able to go to nearly every single home game. <laughs> unfortunately, and it was like I remember what I I mean it sounds ridiculous now. I hated the kit when the kit was announced. You know, with that little button and the kind of shiny material and like a kind of cheap knockoff the football was horrendous and I went thinking it might improve every week it didn't improve but that game as well and like you know don't get me wrong as everyone knows the first half of that game the misery continued because I, I live in Cambridge you know so I come down from Cambridge now Cambridge is full because it's kind of just off North London of Tottenham Arsenal and Spuds yeah absolutely full and so you know I do go to quite a few away games um, when we play Tottenham because the train stops at Northumberland Park. Obviously, keep my head down, no colours. But the trains are always full. 
of Tottenham whenever I go to the game. And it was again, it was like, listen, over, I went down on my own, just overhearing the conversations. You know, we were going to get hammered, we were terrible. And of course, like, Kane gets that goal, Son gets another goal. The atmosphere was awful. But I mean, just the fight began to creep into the game. And whenever Cahill got that goal, and and Cahill doesn't get enough credit for that goal because he kind of, he stops at first and then he, he manages to get really good purchase on it before it goes in, lift it up a little bit. But I don't think the only other time there's that Napoli game, the atmosphere was probably one of the best I've ever heard of Stamford Bridge. This was the same. Whenever Hazard's goal went in, it was just insane. It was absolutely incredible. And it was, you know, obviously because it was them as well. But I just remember the whole atmosphere. You know, it just, I didn't care about Leicester City. You know, our our agent from X-Ray Touring, Paul Bolton, he's a huge Leicester supporter. And I, pro- I had to buy two programs because I promised him I'd buy him a program just in case, which I gladly sent him to, to the next day. I couldn't care less if Leicester won, but it was the fact that they didn't yeah. get in with the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, I just never ever forget that. And if that is the one beacon of that season and to be there on that night. And again, it's what I try to explain to my wife what it is about football. And I kind of, my wife's a very intelligent woman, but she, lo- she loves soap operas. And I've often tried to say, I suppose it's like a soap opera. If you follow a football team, it's the you know the highs and the lows. It's the the agitation. And this is one of those games which had everything because I turned up, wasn't expecting much, completely got it by half time, and then all of a sudden euphoria on the train home. And I really had to try not to open my mouth on that train full of Spuds fans all the way to Cambridge. <laughs> they were all absolutely devastated. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, you could you could delight in their misery, of course, Andy, which is always yeah. another great thing about it's football. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know. But uh, yeah, I gutted not to have been at that one. But I mean, the the Battle of the Bridge, as of course it's being called. They had nine players booked that night. How they didn't get anybody sent off, I will never yeah. know. I mean, Clattenburg came clean about it, didn't he, saying that he should have done and didn't. But uh, uh, one of Hazard's best ever goals, really. Even it was. Yeah. It was. Yeah. 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 Nice, nice ball from give it to cause nice ball back. He took it really well, and um, I just I love goals. I love a swerving ball into the corner of the net. It yeah. just it's real Roy the Rover stuff when that goes in, and that was just amazing. And, and what it meant seven minutes, seven minutes from winning the league yeah. title, and we screwed it for them. You've got to love that. Um, I'm I'm very not surprised to see this. I mean, I would normally be very surprised to see this one chosen, but given where you're from, I'm not surprised at all. But uh, it, I'm I'm presuming you were there. Yeah, it's coming home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what it was? It was like, uh, I, whenever I thought, you know, as I said earlier, whenever I saw that match and I didn't see the match, it was there with my dad and everyone around in 1970. It was the first time I was made aware of football through my friend at school, Ivor, being the Chelsea nut, through watching Pat Nevin, then meeting Andy Provisor, to actually think that I was going to see my club play in in my country. You know what I mean? And it was... I remember when it was said it was going to be in Belfast, my first worry was how much loyalty points have I got? And I don't know if you remember at the time, there was the whole thing about, well, there's only going to be so many tickets UEFA are going to. And I had to register for UEFA to see if I could get tickets. And I was on the, well, the day the tickets went on sale, I was going down to London and I had 4G in the phone and I was having a train to catch, I was trying to get the ticket. But I just remember, a. a I very, I very rarely see my mum and dad these days. They still live in Northern Ireland. 
And I said, well, I'm going to come over and see you. I'll stay for a couple of days because Chelsea are playing in the Super Cup. And I hadn't had a ticket by this point. So like at one point, I was every single person that I knew in the music business in Northern Ireland, I was calling. Yeah. People I hadn't heard from in five years. I was calling up old promoters going, do you know anyone works for the Irish? Because <laughs> I was so worried I wouldn't get a ticket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and ironically enough, virtual waiting room, I was in it for five minutes and I got a ticket. Wow, that's a record. And that was like, oh my God. And I was like, I was on the train station in Cambridge going into London, I got a ticket. And then booked myself a flight. Well, I booked the flight in advance, right? But the whole day was brilliant. You know, we got over there just to see Belfast full of Chelsea. Yeah. And the Villarreal fans too, fair play to them, because they, they had to self-isolate for two weeks when they got back. I don't know if you remember that. I forgot that, yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they had to all meet in, in chartered buses, go to the airport, fly over, get picked up. And then they had to basically, afterwards, they back into the buses, taken to the airport, and they were told that they had to self-isolate for two weeks so they got home. And they, they turned up in the numbers. There was, there was pockets of them walking around Belfast. But it was a great, I mean, the match itself wasn't any great shape. So it's good to see Ziyech score. And when it came to penalties, I feared the worst, but we did all right. But it was an absolutely gorgeous day. And it just felt like, you know, I can't believe Chelsea are playing in, in Belfast. You know, after all these years and that's why you know it's, it's not the most and also i think the other thing too as you bring up about the super cup was for two years whenever we that falcao masterclass when we lost in madrid i was on stage in belgium at a festival and i come off stage and looked on my phone and just saw the results four one or whatever then the year after that or it was uh what was the next one Bayern munich yeah never army at rome missed that penalty and that was again, and I remember I, that, I was able to watch, that was at a festival again in Belgium. And I'd managed to get a, a stream and we could watch it, me ourselves and the tour manager, Richard, who's a Chelsea fan. And I don't know, I think, please do not disturb, must be Belgian for come on on in. I put a sign on our door saying to us, every person that I'd ever met in a Belgian rock band, hey Andy, I was going, can you give it? And it was like, I felt really bad. I was like, I'm watching the game. Well, obviously we lost in the end. And then the the last time, I think the zone, Tommy missed a penalty. Yeah. And I know it's a Super Cup and all that, but I just wanted to win it so bad. And then when it came to Belfast, and it was just such a perfect day. It was really, really good. And to see Chelsea out in force and sunny day and win it on pens, brilliant. Yeah, no, it was it was brilliant, brilliant. I mean, I agree with you. I, I, I think the Super Cup very much counts. And I remember when we beat Real Madrid, you know, in uh, yeah. 98, how, how important it felt. I, I couldn't get out there annoyingly, but... Uh, and I couldn't get a ticket for this one. It was, again, it was really hard work. You were right uh, trying to get a ticket for that. But I know plenty who did, and they absolutely loved it. They had a, a wild old... I mean, you know, I, I, I know Ireland very well. My my dad worked in Dublin for about five or six years, so we got to know uh, Dublin and the West Coast very well. But I didn't, I didn't really know the North until Millennium, when mm. we spent Millennium in a load of cottages. We just, a whole, a whole group of us went up there. And hired about about eight cottages uh, in in was it Loch Earn near Enniskillen? Yeah, yeah, Enniskillen. That's it. It's Liskener, isn't it? Enniskillen. Enniskillen, but there's a little uh, town Liskener or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think another place you mean. Yeah. Yeah, just absolutely beautiful, and the people. I mean, I love Guinness, as you well know. There's a reason why our logo's got a pint of Guinness in it. Uh, I was very, I was exposed to 
proper Guinness at a very early and impressionable age, you see. So there you go. But uh, no, the North, just absolutely gorgeous. Absolutely loved it. So I'd have loved to have gone to Belfast because I've not been. So it would have been great. No, never made it to Belfast. I'd have loved to have done that. But uh, there's always time. Right. uh, Your last favourite match. Yeah. Uh, Again, I was was at this one. And and I think this is significant because I reckon, as you well know, uh, we were on fire this night. And then it all went downhill from here, really, didn't it? It did, and I was at the game myself. Uh, Chelsea for Juventus now. The race GM was masterclass, and it was absolutely. I mean, Chalwell got the first goal. I think you know we. It was just the fact that it was Juventus and Italian teams when they come to the bridge. See, they, they always bring very noisy support, and you know even even as far back as them when Mevo Mourinho um, Mourinho returned that time. Do you remember with Inter Milan and then the East Stand? There were so many more cameras than I'd ever seen. Yeah. We lost one nil. You would, and I'm always a bit nervous when it's Italian team and Juventus as well. And I wasn't expecting this, which made it all the more sweet. It really wasn't. I wasn't expecting. It was an absolute stunning masterclass. It was brilliant. And at no point after, uh, I think James got the second goal. After James got the second goal, I didn't actually think we'd lose. There was no way I thought this is amazing. And you know Hudson Adoy, that it was that goal, the third goal. It was a team effort, and I remember at one point we lost the ball and we battled to get it back, and then I went into the penalty. I mean, how many times have we seen the ball go in the penalty area and we haven't got the, I don't know, we don't seem to be able to do anything with it, and it goes wide or it gets kicked out. It was just perfect game. And you, where was that team? Where's, where, where did that team go after that game? Well, Chilwell got injured, didn't he? And I think that, yeah. effectively, that's what did for it. But just a, a mark of how good we were that night, even Werner scored. Well, he did, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, but you're right. I mean, you, again, we're men of a certain age. So when somebody like Juventus comes to town, there's a little bit of anxiety about it because they're a really big, big club with a great record. So yeah. you think, ooh, you know. And of course, they'd done us one nil, hadn't they, in the in the home leg? And they 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 they, they were yeah. they were that typical Italian side. They they knew how to defend. They got one nil up, and they were never going to let us get get back in the game. And I just thought they'd have too much nous for us. And yeah. we took them apart, Andy, that night. We, we and also, took them well, apart. We did. And you know what? You know what I think as well? I mean, was an amazing sign. Remember Silva clearing it off the line from Morata as well? Because it was one, only 1 0 at that point in time. Morata had that shot. And yeah. Thiago Silva, I don't know how I many, for a man his age, he got back, he got it off the line. And that, that lifted the stadium as well, which is absolutely amazing. What, what an absolute game. Absolute yeah. brilliant game. The high point of last last season that's for sure the other i was in the shed end that night because being up where we are in gate 17 we get moved for champions league matches and uh i was very near uh, a mate of mine that i i used to work with when i when i first started work so back in the late 80s and this guy was a massive massive chelsea fan massive much better than me and most of most of the people i know and he was going on the chelsea specials in the early 80s as a, as a 15 16 year old and I'd got in touch with him in the summer after nearly 30 years. I hadn't seen him for 30 oh. years. And he, he'd got in touch because he'd heard I was doing this show and he'd started listening to the show. He said, we got to meet up. He said, mate, I, I mean, I knew you liked Chelsea a bit, but you, you, you weren't going much. So I said, I know, I know. Anyway, we met up. And it's one of those evenings where you could reconnect with somebody that you, you, you haven't seen for 30 years, but you're, you're right back there. Oh, yeah. And it was one of the first times I'd been out to a pub uh, since the whole lockdown thing. And and we must have and, and Mac can drink. I forgot how much he can drink. And I basically we must have had seven pints in about two hours. And I was supposed to be going to meet my wife in a hotel. Would you believe in Woking? Because we're supposed to be uh, going to a mate's party the next day. 
And I don't know how I got back, but I had I had to get three trains and a cab. And I swear to God, I don't remember any of the journey. I was so pissed. And apparently she said, she said, you didn't even go via check-in. You went straight to the room because we'd wow. stayed there before. She said, I don't know how you did it. She said, and then you basically collapsed in a heap. And that was it. <laughs> But uh, so I saw Matt at the uh, at, at the Juventus match as well, which was lovely. There was, there was kind of a nice symmetry about that, I thought. But brilliant match. Absolutely loved it. Shame it all went pear-shaped after that, but never mind. Right, your best Chelsea moment of all time. This is a this is an interesting one. I get this one as well, actually, Andy. But this is this is lovely and esoteric. Yeah, it was well, my favourite season in recent years. And it's one I got to go to a lot of the games. And I loved it. It was a 9-10 season with Ancelotti. And, you know, it was the double season. Um, I thought the football that we played was amazing. And we scored, there was a lot of games where we, you know, it was 5-0 Blackburn Rovers, 7-2 Sunderland, 7-0 Stoke, 5-0 Portsmouth. And another piece of shading for it against Villa, which I'll touch on later on. But it ended up with that game against Wigan. You know, we'd, we'd won the kind of, we, we were told, it was Liverpool, wasn't it the game before that? We had to get six points. And we got that one, I think it was... So that we, we, but then it came up to this game, and I remember actually it was Wigan, but I was being a bit nervous because they had done us at their grounding earlier in the season. And Man United were playing Stoke, I think, as well, and we just had the win. But get, and I seem to remember it started off, and Elka scored after two minutes. Elka scored quite quickly, didn't they? I think yeah, six minutes. Six minutes. That was it. Yeah. But then when the, the whenever Lampard got that penalty, am I imagining Was there not a bit of a drug behalf? Yeah. He wanted the golden boot, and I seem, to remember, I seem to remember the guy that sits beside me saying, he's huffing, he's going to ruin this game, because he threw a real hissy fit, Drogba. And and you, you know, people forget now as well with Drogba as well. He's a club legend. But he could be really annoying, because there was, I'm off. Do you remember that whole boot? I'm off. No, that's it. I'm off. And he could be really grumpy. And if he got his head down, that was it. There was no getting him. He was really belligerent. But then I remember thinking, oh, no, you know, there's a fight over the penalty. But Lampard took the penalty really well. Kalu got it, then we could relax and once Kalu got it. But I just I was so pleased for Ancelotti and the team. Yeah. And it was it was a beautiful day. And also it probably didn't uh, do any harm that I was going out for dinner later on with a friend of uh, my wife and, and her husband was a man you fan. That always so, helps, doesn't it? And it was it was actually they lived up in Putney, so I was able to walk from the ground yeah. up to the house. And I remember what I'll always remember is there's two Chelsea fans, probably a bit older than we are, walking in front of me. And this kind of white van drove by and somebody wound down the window and went, where were you when you were shit? And the two of them went, we were here when we were shit. Like that. It was just such a, go- a gorgeous day. Yeah. And I just really, really liked it. And um, being there again, as I say, you know, being able to go to most of the games that season. And it's it's not one of the bigger games, you know, arguably we were going to beat Wigan anyway, but I think it was just, it had everything for me. It had from the being nervous going to the ground, the, the hissy fit from Drogba, and then just Ashley Cole even getting a goal at the end, you know what I mean? So it was, wow. it was great. I mean, how many times you see your team win 8-0? Well, I mean, it was not, it, I think that was their highest, the biggest result yeah. then. I mean, after the Middlesbrough one, I think then that was 8-0, but there was, I mean, that season as well, uh, I can't remember when the game was. We beat seven, uh, Villa 7-1. We did, didn't we? And, and I remember I was getting a train from the village along from Cambridge just outside for some reason, a little town called Water Beach, and it's got one platform and that's it. And I remember going to that game and for some reason there was a guy in a suit and tie sitting you know, on a, a chair and I walked by with a little Chelsea beanie hat on 
And I completely out of the blue, it lifted his head and gone, I hope you lose. <laughs> and I was, I, you know, whenever it just shocks me, going, well, I didn't expect someone in Cambridge to make a comment, especially he didn't look like a football fan. And it kind of ate away at me in the way down the game. And then when we won 7 1, I was just thinking, oh, wait, oh, wow, well, that'd be brilliant. What a fantastic result. Yeah, yeah. But yeah I know that, that game against Wigan, it was just, it was just, it was joyous. And I loved, you know, we played such great, great football that season. And I, I really like Angelo as a person, not just as a coach. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, it was got it when he went. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, we played. You're right. We played. We played superb football with Ancelotti. They got two strikers, an Elka and Drogba, basically playing yeah. as a two up front, and we scored so many. And then Lampard behind, scoring reams and reams of goals. So, yeah, we were a good side to watch. Then that was a great, great fun. Eight 0 I mean, when does that happen? Uh, right. Have you, ever, have you ever seen that Anelka? Have you ever seen the Anelka documentary? I've no, I haven't. It. What? What? Like... Yeah, I've never seen it. I haven't brought this around. I just no. wondered. Features he's an interesting chap, isn't he, for all sorts of uh, reasons. But uh, bloody good player for us, actually. Again, quite underrated, I think. Right, okay. From the sublime to the not so sublime, we've got we've got you've chosen quite a few matches for your worst moments. Um, I'd, I'd love to know which is the absolute worst out of these. But let's kick off with uh, with um, well, again, I'm, I, this is an interesting choice. Uh, Ch- Chelsea won Man United four mm. in uh, October '95. And I actually watched the highlights of this recently because it was at the game. And it's not as bad as I remember it being, but I think it was the bill of what happened was I was going over, our manager who supports Man United was coming over as well. And um, we'd also met Andy Previsa that I mentioned earlier was A&M's press officer. And at the time he had also Delamitri was signed to A&M as well as therapy. And Justin from Delamitri was a big Man United All fan. Right. So we brought him along. It's a shame. The... I quite like Delamitri. Yeah, and he also... now. It's a, just the most bizarre thing. It's also Brian Adams is on the label. He lives in Chelsea. And Brian Adams yeah. is a big fan. So it was the most surreal moment because I met Andy. I had a season ticket, but I met Andy in the Hollywood pub on, on the oh, Hollywood yeah. Road. And our manager had flown over from Dublin. And he, he was sitting in the Chelsea. With, so it was me, Justin Curry, and our manager. And then we met. It was just a really surreal day. But then, obviously, our manager who does like the gloat a bit, you know, because it was that kind of uh, skull scores after three minutes, and they, they they were they were playing really really well. It scores then at nine minutes, it's two 0 and I could kind of see him gloating to the left of me, and you know, then after that, you know, we, I think it was uh, was it Husey got one back, and then Giggs got a pretty good goal, and then McLaren of all people scored and made it four one. But by that point in time, my mood had completely crashed. I don't know if you ever get that again where you yeah. just zoomed out. And I think it made it worse knowing that there was two kind of imposters sitting in the East Stand with me. And, you know, of course, like once we got out of Stamford Bridge and once we got away from the Fulham Road, then, of course, on the banter started. But it was, uh, yeah, I just I remember feeling really gutted. But I think that was a wake up call because I don't think we lost after that game then. We went on a run after that game for. Uh, well, at home games anyway, did we not? I'm not sure, sure, actually, Andy, but my memory, as we all know, is, is rather civ-like. But I can tell you, uh, was it? what's the season? 94, 95? 95, 96. I can tell you, uh, the internet's supposed to be really good at stuff like this, but it's, I think we have 95, 96. Yeah. Right, so uh, Man United, 4-1, okay. Well, no, we lost against Blackburn the next game, 3-0. Uh, Leeds 1-0. Then we went on a bit of a run. We didn't lose again That's until it. December when we lost That's to Wimbledon. 
and and uh, and then we had another run, and we didn't lose again until we played Coventry in February. But the the tail end of the season just went to shit basically when we got knocked out we we got beaten by united in the semi-final if you remember yeah, was all that came up something fell apart yeah. yeah yeah and then we just basically chucked in the towel we lost to villa and then bolton and the last match against uh blackburn so uh, yeah you know one of those seasons really it was all i mean it was unusual i mean that's the weird thing wasn't it because it was unusual to lose to united in those days we had a tremendous record against we had them. a really good record yeah. against them and i think i think maybe that's what it was i think it was i built it up too much and yeah. i've learned from I think you know, I kind of thought, well, our manager is man, you this guy from Delamere. I thought, you know, this is actually we're going to give him a game here. Yeah, the goals he scored after three minutes, that off. You know, just it's one of those things. Yeah. Now, uh, the next one you've chosen uh, is an absolute shoe in uh, yeah. for for so many of us. Uh, um, I I think this is the most angry I've ever been at a football match. Yeah. If I if I hadn't have been right at the back at gate seventeen on the Matthew Harding upper. It's probably a good job I was because I probably would have been on the pitch chinning over bro actually, and I'm not a violent man, but I think he he drove me to it that night. Well, I was not the game, but I can tell you this: Overbro owns two. It owes two and a half thousand Belgian therapy fans a lot of money for a shit gig, because we had a day off. We were playing the Ancien Belgique in the centre of Brussels. Two and a half thousand people. The gig was sold out, and the night before we all went to Brussels to watch this game, and. It, the bar was full of Barca fans, as you'd imagine. So it was myself, Richard, the tour manager, Dave that sold her shirts, old Chelsea, and a few other members of our of the crew, and our, our drummer was there as well, uh, the Derby supporter. Um, it was we we got in there all full of Barca. We could not believe. I mean, I think the first one when Maluda kind of fell over in the area, you know, not too bad, but like. The, the travesty after that, you know, the, the sort of like um, Abadal on Drogba, the handball, the PK, then, the, but you know, by the time Balak was shouting at him, I actually couldn't believe what I was watching. I couldn't, and I was actually, you know, you know, what annoyed me most was the Barca fans in there didn't, obviously they're not going to say that, but it was like, it was the unfairness of it all. People in our, our group were shouting at them saying, you know, this is a travesty. Drogba screaming, you know, it's a disgrace, well, it's a it's great that I came out of that pub after watching that game completely disheartened but also had lost all faith in the officiating because it wasn't it wasn't a couple of mistakes it was an absolute shit show of incompetence yeah. and then you know I was in a, I couldn't sleep that night got up the next day went for breakfast and I met Dave the Chelsea supporter who hadn't slept much either and the two of us were just ranting raving and we would at this point in time we'd be in our minds seeing some of the reports who backed up what we thought it was? It was an absolute shit show from the ref. And then I had a terrible gig that night because it was such a bad mood. <laughs> so, to his list of crimes, he actually owes all those people their money back if he ever wants to put his hand in his pocket. It's the beautiful thing, you see. We we go to gigs and we and we never know what's been going on in the lives of the people that we're we're watching in front of us. We just never know, do we? Well, in this business of show, you know, I mean, I must. Admit, I'm pretty good at kind of putting stuff behind me. I know the show must go on and all that. But I was so incensed that night. And I think it was, you know, I'm usually quite a gregarious character to the audience. And that night it was very much, you know, moody. Thank you. Did it, did it. Thank you. And that was it. I was so pissed off. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I went to see the fun-loving criminals in a terrible venue in Reading. It was like a like a sports hall. A terrible acoustics. Awful audience. Reading's a weird place. It's kind of, it's a, it's a city, I think. Maybe a town. But it's it's very agricultural. 
Mm-hmm. So you you get a quite an agricultural. I mean, I get a bit snobby actually, because I, I spent most of my gig, you know, watching time in London, where mm-hmm. you get a very different crowd. Sometimes not good. Sometimes a bit up their own ass, admittedly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've been to gigs down in this part of the world, and you just you look around. People don't get this. They just don't get it. Anyway, that night at Reading was no exception. And basically, you just had, you had a lot of, a lot of what I would call yahoos out for a good night out just to yeah. get pissed. And one of them lobbed a full pint of beer at Huey, and it hit him smack on the forehead. And he was so fucked off. His mood just changed like that. My God, they played better afterwards, though. Yeah. <laughs> it just brought the I best out of him. I hate that. that. That's very, very prominent at gigs these days yeah. as well. It is yeah. really prominent. It's, there's nothing worse. And it, it's happened to me a couple of times, too. I know other friends and bands. It's worse when it happens earlier in the set. If it happens kind of halfway through when you've got a bit of rhythm going, that's all right. You can feed off the anger. But if you're two songs in, somebody once spat in Athens. Uh, somebody spat at us and it kind of landed on the side of my mm. face two songs in and I was absolutely infuriated at this. No, I would I would go loopy if that happened to me. Uh, a bit like I would have done if I'd have been at the touchline on the Barca game. I mean, it was the greatest uh, sense of injustice, wasn't it? And, and I mean, if we'd have won, which we should have done, I mean, yeah. there was a real sense that that was the year we should have won. Our, our team was beyond brilliant that season. Yeah. Beyond brilliant. Gus knew what he was doing. The yeah. team were absolutely fantastic. We would have gone on and beaten United that that's no, that year. Was it, we- was, it, was it at Wembley as well, the final? Was it at Wembley that year? I think it might have been. I think it might have been, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah and they, they, they won. And obviously, yeah. Oh, it was, it was, no, I think that's what it was. I wasn't, I never, ever go into a Chelsea game expecting to win because I don't think that's the right attitude. I always think they were good. But as you say, that team that year was incredible. Yeah. And it was to lose. And I think at the end of it, I think if I'm right, I was raging as well and blessing because he's, you know, he's a hero of mine. Lampard swapped shirts with Iniesta. And I, I remember being cross with Frank, you know, because it was tears. What's he swapping shirts with him for? You know, it was, it was, I was furious. But yeah, yeah that hurt for a long, long time, that. Yeah, no, it, it was painful. Uh, thankfully, we, we, we righted that wrong a few years later. Now, we've got two more games here. One is I have no idea... I mean, I would have been there, but I can't remember why. Why? Or I can't remember the, why, if there's a reason why. And then the other one, which is more recent from 2019, I completely and utterly concur. So tell us about the the Liverpool, uh, the Chelsea nil Liverpool one match in uh, in uh, February 2011. Yeah, I mean, it was we'd signed Torres uh, at the last minute on the Fridays. It was Torres. And That's right. The thing was, and I really wanted Torres to do yeah, well. Yeah. And I remember thinking because. The whole, well, after he signed, it was all the papers the next day because it was a Sunday of the game. And I had to go, we were starting to record an album uh, on Monday morning up in New, we used to go up quite a lot in Newcastle upon Tyne, a place called Blast Studios, an amazing studio. And we, we knew the people up there. And I had to, I knew I had to go to the game, get the train back to Cambridge, and then drive for four and a half hours up to Newcastle upon Tyne so it could start at half nine the next morning. And I thought, well, I'm going to go. You know, so I knew it would be a long old day for me. I didn't want Torres to start. I didn't want him to play that game. He had just left the team. They were playing Liverpool. And he, he bloody he, stayed, he played the first 70 minutes of him. He was awful. And I remember the first time he ran down to the shed, just this absolute torrent of Torres shirts got thrown behind the goal. And somebody had a banner, I think, with he who betrays will always walk alone. 
And I, to this day, think, I mean, he was a bit of a busted flush anyway, Torres, but I think he wouldn't have been anywhere near as bad a player if he hadn't played that game. I, I, I mean, I'm probably alone in this. I think that's what did for his confidence. I think it was, it was obviously why it was a marketing thing, why he was played. He should never, ever have started that game or played it. I, I honestly think it was a really bad mistake. And it was just, I remember the whole day it was horrible. It was really gray and overcast. You could tell, I mean, I really felt for him. You could tell that he was terrified. He was out of sorts. They were fired up because they really, really hated the guy for coming down to London, especially Chelsea. Uh, and then obviously to make it worse, I got back in the house and then had to, I literally was in the house for 10 minutes, grabbed my bag and then drove up to Newcastle, four and a half hours in the car, listening to it on the radio, you know, after they'd won. Now I remember why this should be in your worst matches. I, I, I'm remembering it with, with a lot of pain, actually. And of course, Raul Morellas scored the winner, the only goal, know. <laughs> you know, and, and we end up we end up signing him a year later. One of the best songs, actually. I mean, I know we're going to do songs later, but... The Raul Morelles song, you know, he's got shit hair, but we don't care. Raul yeah. Morales, I used to love that. I used to love that. I forgot as well when I watched that goal, he got there to eat a skinhead then. Yeah, yeah. Kind of bizarre. Kind of Mohican. Robert De Niro. Kind yeah, of. strange, <laughs> strange bloke. Yeah, because when he scored that goal against Benfica yeah. in the champ for us, yeah. he had that kind of weird full whatever it was. I don't yeah. know what it was, but it was a weird haircut. But hey, bless him. Anyway, now the last one, I, I totally get. I wasn't I wasn't there. I, I'm kind of glad I wasn't. I don't think I've ever felt so despondent, actually, after a match. Because, of course, this, in a way, you know, and I know there's a lot of people who still worship at the, uh, the fit that, worship at the fag butts of uh, Maurizio Sarri. But for me, this epitomised the Sarri era, this game. Oh no, I I wasn't a fan of sorry at all. And uh, this game actually, I wasn't hit, I wasn't there. We had a gig in Paris at the La Marocaine. The gig was sold out. Uh, it was a kind of hot, steamy club, and I managed to get a stream. The gig was on. We were on stage at ten o'clock, hang on, and I managed to get a stream in the backstage area. Now I hadn't seen a lot of friends of mine in Paris for a long time, so I'd got friends of mine from media friends of mine that were journalists, um, musician friends of mine coming down. Also on the bill, there was a lad that we kind of knows in that band, Gogol Bordello, the guitarist. He had kind of formed a rock band and he was opening for us. And it was going to be a, a lad from Gogol Bordello's band, formed a rock band there starting. We're going to play the gig. It's in Paris. We'll six nil. And I didn't meet anyone. I said to our tour manager after the game, I'm not meeting anyone. He went, Andy, there's loads of people outside. I want to meet you. you know, he said, like, Christoph's there, you know, Stefan's there, you know, all these people, you know, I'm not meeting them. <laughs> what about the support band? I'm not meeting them. He says, well, the lad from Google Bordello, he wants to say, I'm not meeting them. And I, at one point, I actually said, well, it was, I said, I'm not meeting anybody. And, and he was going, don't be ridiculous. It's just a game of football. Like, I'm not meeting anyone. I just want to go back to my hotel. And are you sure? And he said, well, what did I tell them all? And I said, I said well, make some <laughs> And I was like, I want to say, I feel, I feel bad about it. I mean, uh, I made up for it about a year later because I was back in Paris and I phoned everyone and said, yeah, it wasn't well that night. Come on, we can all hook up. But, oh, no, I didn't. I was completely... And the gig, the gig itself was all right. It wasn't as bad as the gig in Brussels because the gig in Brussels was it was terrible. Yeah. But this gig in Paris was brilliant because the crowd were amazing. Yeah. But I could, while I was playing, I could see the people that were going to come and say hello afterwards at the back of the hall. I kind of thought, you're not going to be seeing me afterwards. Cause I'm <laughs> <laughs> and the show was brilliant and it was a real set. But, you know, that was it. And I literally, I ended up, I think, going out of fire escape. 
<laughs> walking back to the hotel <laughs> after the game. And to this day, I've never watched it back. Really? I, the only thing I seem to remember about it was, didn't Barkley do a really, really stupid header? Yeah. Yeah, he, he did. He did two massive, massive mistakes. It one, I think he passed the ball to Aguero or something. He just, yeah. they, but it was the fact that they just stood around. They didn't give a shit. That's how they played. They played like they didn't yeah. give a shit that yeah. they'd given up. I mean, you know, you 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 started supporting Chelsea. Well, you know, a lot earlier than when you went. But even when you started going, you know, we weren't really that good. I mean, that you know, '92 Portfield, you know, still not really yeah. that good. And me, me in the eighties when we were dreadful, but I mean, you know, you, we, I've I've seen a lot of really shit players play for Chelsea, but at least they gave a hundred percent. You know, they yeah. played for us, they played for the badge, they played like they cared. That lot out there against City were a oh, disgrace yeah. to the show. It was tools down. I mean, I mean, I, I'm glad that you're that. The way I seem to remember it was it was tools down. Yeah, I've no idea what was going on. I remember at one point being really, really angry. At one point, I think was Hazard not on his own in the half. Yeah, I think he might have been played as a as a, a false nine. I'm just trying to look yeah. inside. We've got Kepper, I Rudiger. I couldn't believe what was watching. I couldn't believe what was watching. Yeah. It was, it was, oh, it was... no, hang on. No, I'm, we're wrong. The, the side was Kepper, Rudiger, Alonso, Jorginho, Kante, Barkley, Higuain. Oh, yes. Higuain. Was, he, was, he was bloody awful. Awful, yeah. yeah. Hazard and Pedro, uh, Aspie and, and Luis. Yeah. Louise well, he, ran around like a headless chicken all game. He, didn't, he was completely, he didn't know what yeah. he was doing. Yeah. Yeah, as I said, I've never watched a bag and I never will watch a no, bag. Take my advice, that. don't. <laughs> Forget it, move on. Uh, brilliant, Andy, those are some, some, some really, you know, brilliantly chosen worst moments there, actually. I'm I, I, I surprised by a few, but I like that. I like that a lot. Now, okay, favourite modern slash current players? Yeah, um, obviously, we'll start with the obvious one, Hazard. Because I think that was, I'll always remember. There's a lad he doesn't go anymore. He used to sit to my right, an elderly gentleman called David, and he had been going since the fifties. And you know, he he was always he's, he used to uh, tell me about you know being able to walk around the ground or whatever cars. Right? All these stories that you know, was, I just loved hearing all these stories about you know what it used to be like and how I could watch the first half from one end then walk to the other. And his favorite ever player was Bobby Tambling, and you know, he absolutely loved Bobby Tambling. And I wrote, and he never he was never very vocal during the matches. He clapped, you know, he would just sit and he clapped again. And I remember whenever Hazard scored a goal and he just turned around. Uh, he, he did an amazing run. It wasn't a Liverpool goal, come on to that minute, but he scored a he scored a goal and he just turned around and he says, That young man is absolutely magic. He is magic. And then he went back to watching the game. And it was like, yeah, that meant more, you know, because he hardly ever spoke during the games. You could always and he it was just and he was right. It was like we got the best of that guy, and we're just watching him. You know, um, I just say I'm just trying to think of all the goals. You know, there's that one away at Stoke. I wasn't at it. Was a four and the screen where he scored from 25 yards. Um, and then, you know, one one thing that kept coming up about Hazard was he was unplayable. Pundits, coaches, you would hear that quite a lot saying he was unplayable, and on his day he was. Mm. Um, and then I was at that game when he did the, you know, there was something really sweet about him too, you know, because the story that he always says is he loves his football. He comes from that big family where they're football mad and all his brothers play and his dad played. But he, whenever he scored, I'll always love the fact when we, we lifted the trophy and we beat Palace and he missed that penalty but got the rebound. And then he did that kind of mopping his brow, few kind of, yeah. 
you know, and that one. But then that wonder goal against Arsenal. Yeah. You know, I was there. And you, it was, you have, well, where are you in the East Stand? I'm East Upper. I'm kind of about about 10 seats from the halfway line. Oh, right. In the upper bit? And not the very, very upper bit, but the, whatever you, the, the, the upper stand. But right. the, not, not the middle tier? Uh, not the middle tier, where, no. Where but, Jonathan sits with all the posh people. Oh, no, no, no. Not uh, that. But you're about the same, you know, he's in the middle, basically. He's, yeah, I'm in the middle. I'm yeah. kind of more or less on the halfway line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is he. So he was going down to the Matthew Harding to my right. Yeah. And it was like, oh, right, okay. Oh, this is going to be a nice little run. And I sort of had a, oh, uh, oh, a couple of them fall on the backside. <laughs> Surely not. And then if you look at the way he takes his shot, he does this really bizarre, <laughs> the very, very last bit, he stands up with his leg really straight and dinks it. Yeah. Which after that run, and it's one of those things where you, because it's obviously everyone knows that goal. Every, every football fan of the modern era knows that goal. And to be there and have witnessed that, was just incredible. That as well as, the, I mentioned it earlier, the Tottenham goal. Mm. Um, and I was there, I remember being really, really heartbroken whenever we played Leicester away and it was nil all. We were wearing the yellow kit, and I I drove to the game. You know, Cambridge is not far from Leicester. I got a ticket to that. It was boring good. The only thing I really remember about it was Brendan Rodgers running around the track for charity before the kickoff. (laughs) 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 They were doing some jog at, you know, the King Power to raise money for charity, and Brendan Rodgers was running around the track and attracts it to raise money. But I remember at the end of it when he came over to wave goodbye, because Baku was, you know, the next week. And everyone kind of knew he was off. And I took a photograph of him. And it's just this, you know, I still have it. It's kind of blurry little picture of him just kind of waving to the Chelsea. And I kind of knew, because I was really gutted when he did go. I knew it was inevitable. And I didn't wish him any ill will. But it, I was completely and utterly devastated when he went. Well, because you know you're losing something really special. And, and I, yeah. I totally agree with you. I mean, he's, he's without doubt uh, the most talented player I think we've ever seen at Chelsea. And to knock Zola off that perch yeah. and I, for people who are older than you and me to not you know charlie cook off that yeah. perch, you know he was really really special and uh and i think we all knew didn't we that season that he'd be off and he put in such a brilliant i mean he single-handedly won us the the the, the europa cup that season i mean he, he did yeah he, he hauled good. us over the line i mean I, I mean the lovely thing about the matthew harding upper and i i now know so many mates dotted around like clayton sits near me tony sits kind of a bit further around uh, Marco's down the left-hand side. Loads of loads of people are on the show, and quite often at half-time, if there's nobody sitting next to Tony, I'll wander around and and sit down next to him and watch watch the second half with him. And we yeah. sat there and we watched that Hazard goal against West Ham, where he just basically just went through the lot of them, which was yeah. just sublime. Special, special player, much missed. Won't won't see his like again for a while. I'm pretty sure of that. Right, um, I'm gonna. I, you could probably put these two together, couldn't you? I suppose, but I'm really delighted to see you've you've, you've included them. I would totally agree with these two. Yeah, and I, I know that the first one, Mason Mount, you know, he gets a lot of stick, and I, I've never understood why. Because he, they're idiots, Andy. I know, but he's a cross. <laughs> he's, right, he's a cross between he's got the industry of Lampard, and he's got the exuberance of Hazard. He's, you know, he's technically he's not as good as Hazard, but he's got that joy. About I think te- technically he's better than Lampard, though. Yeah. And he's, he's such an amazing player and he cares and, you know, it means so much to him. And he's, I just, I just love watching him play. And he's part of, you know, the fact that he came up Lampard's first season, they brought those kids up from the academy and he took his chance. How many people have we seen from the academy not take their chance? Well, nearly all of them. Yeah. And they don't, and, you know, I know it sounds wrong, but you you want them all to do well, but he, yeah, yeah. he he's that chance when he got it. And he just loves the club. He loves his football. 
And I think, you know, I've just, um, I was at that, that game when it all went south when we lost 3 2 to West Ham. And that goal that he scored up when he took it on, he scored that amazing volley. And then there was that uh, Yarmolenko fluke mm. that won the game of the yeah. death. Yeah. But that, you know, that goal is what he's all about. And, you know, he's he, great, great when he plays for England as well. Um, fantastic player. Tell you what, Andy, I guarantee you one thing. There's not one person who goes to matches inside Stamford Bridge who doesn't rate him. No, I agree. I think the people at the games all absolutely love him. I think it's the kind of people online. Yeah. yeah, yeah probably have never seen Stamford Bridge in their life. Now, I mean, I love Mason Mount. I, I couldn't agree more with what you said about him. I love him for exactly the same reasons. But I have to say, I think this, the next, it's, it's almost, you, you do have to bracket them together in a way because that's mm. kind of how the chips have fallen with the youth that have come through. I think that this lad is better. Oh, no, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think, you know, Mason Mount as well, he did the assist for Kai Havertz in yep. Porto. Absolute buzz. This lad played brilliantly, but I think Reese James, even from when he first started playing, I think he got a goal against Grimsby, I think was his first goal for the club. It was an FA Cup match, and I was at that. But he makes you get up off your seat. He does. I mean, whenever he goes on, I mean... It, some of those runs, he goes on some of the crosses. Incredible. Like that Juventus, Juventus masterclass. Um, one of my favourite games of him, actually, is uh, I mentioned earlier that I go up to Newcastle to record quite a lot. And because of that, I can go to Newcastle away games because the studio allows me to park at the car park. It's a 20-minute walk to St. James's. And the first game I went up to in St. James's, those 14 flights of stairs, we lost 3-0. It was that Conte season with that. yeah. yeah. Well, they, the, the team didn't turn up. It was almost as bad as Man United. It was a meaningless game. I think if we'd have won and somebody else had lost, we would have maybe qualified for Champions League, but it was terrible, the, the team again. And it's a long old way to drive home whenever you've lost 3-0. And in the second time we went up, I think we won 2-1, Alonso scored. Then there was that awful game where we lost in the last minute when Lampard was managing. It was nil all, terrible game. So I, went, I kind of went up, the fourth time I went up to Newcastle, it was that 3-0 victory when uh, he got a brace. Both from the same, I was, and the Chelsea fans were amazing that day. The away support of at St. James's was amazing. And both those goals that he got, they're nearly identical. Mm. You know, he took them from the right side of the pitch, quite like, took them really, really cleanly. And it was just an absolute joy. And it, it's, I just think he's a, he's, a, he's a stunning player, absolutely stunning player. And I think, I think what, makes me, what makes me so excited is I know he's just going to get better. Yeah. Definitely, no, he's quite something. Now, I know you've included this, uh, not such a young chap anymore, but he's also your all-time Chelsea hero, isn't he? And I, I, he's mine as well, I'm delighted to yeah. say. Well, Fra Frank Lampard's my all-time hero. I just think he's hardworking. Uh, he, tra he trains a lot. And nobody expected when he came to the club from West Ham that he was going to be the character that he turned out to be in. Mm. And he loves, you know, all the times, you know, you've got... Um, the goal against Barcelona, you've got the, the time. Always remember the time he got that got the penalty whenever his mum had died a week before. Yeah, yeah, and you know that was a big big shout for him to do that. Um, he captained the team in the Champions League victory. He, you sort of nearly forget that because Terry didn't play. The Lampard was a captain for that. The Europa League victory as well. Yeah, he was a captain. Those two gig, those two goals at Bolton. I actually I did that thing as well. You know, he's one of the few Chelsea players that I've met because I did that thing once you at the club say if you know do you want to meet the players but we got meet and greet thing at the behind the east stand oh yeah 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 and I entered that once I just put in the season ticket number and that and I got an email saying if you'd like to meet the players please be there 
I'm, I've never been so nervous about anything in my life. Honestly, I've played Reading Festival, played Monsters of Rock, played big festivals all over the world. I was more nervous about meeting the players, and that was that we lost 1-0 to Valencia. But I remember uh, I met William, I met uh, Alonso. Mason Mount was brilliant. Uh, Rich, uh, but I remember meeting Lampard because I sort of thought, I'm not going to meet him. He'll probably walk by and you and my program. And he stopped every single person. And he took a selfie and he, he signed a program. And he did that for me. And I, you know, I was like, what am I going to say to him? Should I say something witty about his Northern Irish wife? Should whatever. And it all rehearsed. And he signed it for him. He says, there you go, man. I said, you're a legend. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a picture of me kind of like grab, with a selfie grabbing onto him, you know, with, and he was an absolute gent that day. He was absolutely brilliant. But yeah, I just think that's kind of, you know, as an example, how to be a footballer and everything that he's done with the club. You know, there's that whole period he's been there. And, uh, uh, you know, even little things like standing up for Klopp, saying, you know, giving it the big in yeah. that time. You know, whenever that, that was horrible women on with their kind of the, yeah. their staff that day. Yeah. And it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah I think just, uh, it was, it's a hard, isn't it? It's hard, like what, what the all-time legend is. It could have went for Zola, it could have went for any number of players, even like Nevin, although, but the fact that Lampard was brought in, you know, I started going with a season ticket. I've seen the whole growth and everything achieved. And then I was broken when he, it was heartbroken when he went, but you know, it was probably for the best. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just glad I've seen the man play. Yeah. And I'm not glad I met the man too. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, again, I totally agree. He's my all time hero. And you're right. It is tough. I mean, you know, Kerry was so, uh, made such an impact when I was younger. Pat, I love for the reasons that we talked about earlier on. Ray Wilkins was yeah, probably yeah. my first hero when I first started like vicariously watching them on the big match. And I ended up getting to know Ray. I worked with him in, in oh, telly. Wow. And I mean, a beautiful, beautiful man. I mean, I kept in touch with him. I used to text him and, and stuff, you know, so I was absolutely in pieces when he died. But Lamps, Lamps is, he, I think he's the best player we've ever had all round. You just look yeah. at the whole package, not just the goals, everything that he brought to the table. And he's, he, the other thing you're right about, Frank, and why, why he dug Klopp out. I mean, Frank is a football man. You know, you, you talk to people, you know, old, old football journalists, old players. That's how they divide the world. Are you a football man or not? Yeah. Frank was a football man. His dad was a footballer. He, he's, his, you know, his uncle's Harry Redknapp. His cousin's Jamie Redknapp. He's a football man, so he gets it, and that's why he dug Klopp out, and he was dead right to. But he's yeah. also a highly intelligent man with a lot of humility. I mean, you know, my my wife always says this when I start eulogising about Frank. Said, "Well, why didn't you bloody marry him then?" You know, yeah. she's probably right. But I, I got one more story, like your program story. I, I I went to Cobham uh, when when well when you're on the trust, you get a bit of a bit of a jolly up there, which is not I don't necessarily support. But uh, I went up there nevertheless, and uh, I wrote a, an article about Frank. Oh God, fairly. I mean, you know, we're talking about two thousand and eight, nine, maybe early on. Yeah. And saying he'll be the best player we've ever seen. So I kind of called it out really early, went early on it. And uh, a few years later, I went to Cobb. So I took the C- I took the copy of CFC UK with me because I thought it'd be lovely to get Frank to sign it. And so we're all queuing up. And I met Frank. I said, Mac, Frank, it's a real honour to meet you. And uh, do, do you mind signing? I wrote, a C- I wrote an article about you, about the fact that you'll be our best ever player. And you know, for the CFC UK, it'd be lovely if you could sign it. And he picks it up and he starts reading it. And it's like loads of people. I said, Frank, you don't have to read it, mate, honestly. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. And he kind of looked at me like, oh, all right, okay, just sign oh, it. Oh, I gave oh, it back to me. Wow, bless him. 
But he's a ledge, isn't he? So there you yeah. go. You you looked about. You were about to say something else about him. And I really interrupted you, Andy. So oh no no no, I can't remember that. It's just no. I think it's like um, it, I agree with you about the humility. He's mm. got, and, that, and that's when someone carries himself with that amount of talent, that amount of humility. It's yeah. it's very rare, yeah, especially in modern sport. And it, that's why he has in Spain. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Now, um, this is going to be fun. It's the first time I've ever had anybody i mean jonathan would disagree but if you've ever heard him sing then i don't think it counts but uh this is the first time i've ever been able to ask this question to somebody who really can sing about what their favorite chelsea songs are <laughs> yeah well i mean i've got i've got a list here of the first one i ever remember hearing that i think it was that game i talked to the the, the man city nil all the first game i ever heard coming out of full broadway was carefree yeah and you know I love that song, but I think really the one one of my favourites is the Amazing Grace. But especially at away games because I didn't really start until quite a few years ago going to away matches. I'd, I'd been to the you know semi-finals at Villa Park and, and you know Highbury and all that. But when you're in the middle of Chelsea away and if they can keep it going, it's like the start of Requiem by Killing Joke. It's just this kind of it's like a hypnotic mantra, and I always want to keep it going as long as you can because there's something about it is it's almost like um throat singing <laughs> does that make any sense it's hypnotic and it's tribal it, yeah it's yeah that's the word but i love it i have especially if it goes on the longer it goes on and which unfortunately it doesn't always go on that long but that's probably one of the most forceful favorite ones and um yeah i, I like things that like i like the williams song you know, that's just, it's really clever and really witty and it's, I'm, I'm one of these people as well that takes me a while to work it out. Like the other one likes the Havertz song. And the, that was at the Super Cup was the first time I heard that. And that was kind of like Havertz, uh, what's his, uh, what's Guy that? Guy Havertz is the best on earth. It's to the, no, it's, it's the go-go's, isn't it? I didn't get silky. Yeah. Silky German. I was well, what's it? There's, some, there's something German is just what we need. What's that? The silky German is just what we need. Yeah, and it was kind of listening he won, to He won Chelsea Chelsea's the Champions, Champions League. League. And it took me two or three listens yeah. until I got up. I love that. I love but the I, fact that it comes from a Belinda Carlisle song. I know, I know. Who, Who knew? knew? <laughs> and I wasn't expecting Belinda Carlisle for that one. No, that's not, I love that. I love that. The Williams song was um, uh, basically kind of made up by Walter Otten, who, of course, writes for the fanzine and is a great mate of ours and an absolute a beautiful human being, if ever there was one. And, of course, it went viral out in Prague before the uh, the, the Super Cup match. Yeah. And William liked it, and that's why it absolutely flew. But uh, brilliant. Yeah, I'm reading about that at the minute in his book, Carefree. It's him and Mark yes. Worrell. I'm yes. actually halfway through that at the minute. Cracking book. That's great. But brilliant, brilliant book. Uh, and you've got a couple of uh, great funnies as well, actually, which I'm very pleased to say. Well, I mean, Andy Provisor that I've mentioned throughout this chat, um, we went this, <laughs> it's the name from the halfway line one. So they, they played the Cup Winners' Cup. They lost, obviously. Um, Seaman from the halfway line kind of staggers back. So a few days later, it's we were playing them at Stamford Bridge, and I was at the game. And I mean, it was like first of all, this Naeem from the halfway line, which I think every other club was singing at the time. But the one that I love as well was "Let's All Do the Seaman," and it was all the shared end going "Let's." And they, they kind of they they ran backwards, waving their hands manically. And he actually, I mean, fair play, he took it really well. Yeah, yeah. I remember he turned around and he kind of did a yawning kind of look. But, he, you know, he, he, I think he actually was secretly chuffed that they were saying about him. But I remember that just being so funny. And, like, I, I remember going home and talking to football mates of mine back in Ireland, telling them, that, and they, they thought it was funny as well. Yeah. 
There's a lot of wit, actually, or there used to be. I think there's there's less less wit and creativity now per se, but there used to be. I mean, the, you've got the you know what's it like to play on grass, uh, for which we sang at Tromso when it was snowing, and there's a lot of songs like that. Yeah, you know? I, I love. I mean, we were doing a press junket somewhere with a band, and I can't remember where it was. And I managed to we finished it up, and I was watching the first game on TV. And it was like, oh, no, we're losing the Tromso. And then the weather, I mean, you forget when that game started, the pitch was green, you know? Yeah. And then it, it's just it's, it's just like, you know, God, it was the worst weather I'd ever seen a game of football being played on. Viali obviously kept us in it. Yeah. And then I remember going to the game, which I think was 7-1 yeah. that we won. Yeah. And I remember from very early on, it's what's it like to play on grass, which I just thought was absolutely yeah, brilliant. Yeah. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah, so many. There's, uh, well, as you say, that book's got them all. It's a cracking book, actually. Those boys have written, but there you go. Um, I just wanted one thing about the the Chelsea Chelsea one. I think what a brilliant um, comparing it to Requiem obviously floats my boat, as you well know. But uh, I remember when I first moved up to London, um, when I went to university up there in '84, I ended up. Uh, living in Hollywood Road, would you believe? I had some mates. I had some mates who were, I always used to say were, were stupid, but I think actually I was the stupid one because they ended up working in the film industry and had a flat opposite the Hollywood pub, the Hollywood Arms. Yeah. And uh, I ended up living in Lots Road a year or two after that. And if I didn't go, you could hear Chelsea, 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 and it would go on for a half. And yeah. you could hear it in the North End Road. I used to go up to the market there, buy a few things, and. You could hear wow. it around. I mean, it's it's an. Ama- I think it's amazing. We get a lot of grief uh, from do, yeah. fans, but it's because they it unnerves them, Andy. I think you're right. Is there something quite ominous about it? You know, and obviously, you know, I, I would love to you know, hear it. I suppose if, you know, that also the reputation Chelsea had at certain points as well. But I, I remember coming back home. There's quite a few Norwich fans because Cambridge is in East Anglia. They live in Cambridge. And, and occasionally you'll get Norwich fans coming back if they're playing away somewhere on the same train and they get chatting to you. And that's what most of them say. You've only got one song. Yeah. You've only got one song. What song. a song. What a song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like Lemmy. Lemmy was once asked about the Ace of Spades by Motorhead, right? <laughs> and they said, some, some journalist said to him, do you never get sick of always just being asked about the Ace of Spades? He went, well, if you're going to be remembered for one song, make sure it's a bloody good one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, damn right. What a what a great what a great kind of end end to the to the football bit. But talking of songs, I mean, I, I mean the members, a band that I used to love when I was growing up, they've written a Chelsea song recently. Suggs, of course, did Blue Tomorrow, didn't he? Yeah, yeah he so did. Yeah. Where's Therapy's Chelsea song, Andy? Well, it's it's funny. You've got it would have to be uh, you've got a Derby counter dr- drummer. Yeah. Um, and uh, we, we you've got and our bass player is likes rugby, although he did, he was once asked by a journalist what football team he supported, and he said, I don't know, and then afterwards he said, I don't know what football, does think, who did Black Sabbath support? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> But what he did do once, and he considered Michael, our bass player, doesn't know anything about football, he, he likes rugby, doesn't know anything about football. We used to have a bass tech who was a West Bromwich Albion fan, and uh, we played in Wolverhampton, the Civic Hall, and I can't remember what the bet was about. I think it was something like Black Sabbath had got back together and was Bill Ward going to be on the drums? And they had some kind of stupid bet, Michael and his bass tech. And the bass tech, uh, Big Sean, is a Baggies fan. And he said, OK, well, if I win this bet, you've got to do the encore in Wolverhampton City Hall wearing my West Brom top. 
Hmm. And he did it. He lost a bet and he did three songs at the end of the night to all God's kind of abuse from like a Wolverhampton crowd. Yeah, but the well, yeah, I would I would like to do a therapy do one. song. But yeah, if it would have to be kind of a, I'd have to placate the Derby County supporter. Well, yeah, there is that. There is that. But it has to be done. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, Black Sabbath, I would have thought they were Birmingham City, wouldn't they? Or Villa? Well, I think, yeah. I think, uh, I'm not sure. Where, well, we never find out the answer. I'm not really sure. I mean, I'm presuming Aussie doesn't even like football. I think Geezer Butler is the footballer. But what we always wanted to get our bass player is in Spinal Tap. Uh, have, you, have you seen Spinal Tap? The bass player is called Derek. Have I seen it? I can quote the whole movie. Yeah. Derek Smalls. And Derek Smalls has got like a, a blue and yellow shirt and i never knew what it was it's shrewsbury town yeah yeah and uh you know i've always thought somebody like toffs or you know kind of score draw should bring out the Derek smalls shrewsbury town because i know our base play uh michael would wear that okay if they brought that out i like that well i I'm, I'm doing a book at the moment i can't i can't tell it's obviously a chelsea book but it, i can't tell you what it's about but uh there are basically 10 chapters but there's going to be another chapter which i'm calling the spinal chapter spinal oh, tap wow. chapter because of course 11 is better than yeah. 10 because it's yeah. one more than 10 right yeah <laughs> and uh mark mark's helping me with that one and kelvin oh. kelvin barker who you you yeah. probably read some of his stuff so look out for that but uh, i mean it's interesting isn't it i mean i was just thinking uh, you know before we we got together and talking about bands you know wearing wearing shirts uh i think mm. it was damon o'neill wasn't it in the undertones famously yeah. wore a, the, that's you know 78 79 but he had the, yeah, the my perfect cousin the yeah prince of Beauty, the prince of beauty on it it's uh I was quite shocked actually at the time when I, I mean the first time I saw that I'd have been that was seventy-nine as well, that album what a year. Yeah. And when that came out, I d I didn't I wouldn't have seen the video for a while, so it was only later on. And I think I think the Plants of Beauty when Fergal's wearing a Derry City shirt and and uh Damien's wearing like the sort of Chelsea, it's the Umbro. Yeah. It's seventy six shirt. But you know, I've met him a few times since that and I've met him we did a few shows for therapy in the early days with that peril emotion. And he's Chelsea mad yeah really, totally. really good yeah yeah totally I mean and that Petrol Emotion were a great band as well actually I used to be very fond of them so there you go I can't believe that I didn't turn up to bloody Boomtown and see you and Killing Joke on the same yeah. bill that was a massive dropping of a bollock that one it's I could yeah. walk there yeah really well. I, but, mate next weekend or the couple of weekends I can open my window and yeah. I can listen to it yeah it's that it's close massive. it's massive I was shocked. I mean, there's something like 26 stages or something like that. Yeah, yeah crazy. Place yeah, yeah. And I still, I couldn't bring myself to say a load of them. I've got, um, like, Killing Joke, we, we talked about this via email. It's one of my favourite bands of all time. And I've never met them. Uh, and I've, you know, shared a stage with them. We've got a producer called Tom Dalgetty that uh, does them. And it's because I'm so nervous. Because Jordy's one of my ultimate heroes. We did that gig his dressing room was next door to ours and I couldn't bring myself to say hello just in case it went badly wrong, you know, whatever. And bless them, whenever I turned 50, Tom Dalgetty um, was in the studio with them and he said, can you, uh, I'm going to send Andy Cairns from therapy a 50th birthday card. He's a huge Killing Joke fan. Can you sign it? And they signed this card and it came to my 50th birthday and I got sent a photograph of the card. And Tom just said, I couldn't send you the card itself because he spilt hash oil on it <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the night. And I didn't want to risk putting it in the post to your house. So you <laughs> a photograph of your birthday card. <laughs> oh, that's quality. That is quality. Have you ever met them? Well, 
Uh, do you know what? And Geordie is my absolute guitar hero. Uh, nobody gets anywhere close to Geordie. It'd be so unique, isn't he? Obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a bit of a grumpy so-and-so by all accounts, which I kind of like. But I've, I've met Jazz, who is another hero in a completely different way. For I mean, I remember going to see them in the early 80s. And I mean, a Killing Joke gig is a tribal gathering. I mean, there's a reason why they call joke fans gatherers. But uh, we always used to notice, we grew up down here, right, in the middle of Hampshire. And it was at the time when you used to have the Stonehenge Festival, where Hawkwind would get completely tanked up on acid and play Silver Machine for four hours. I mean, you know, you had to be there, honestly, Andy. But it was it was anarchy. That was the whole point of it. And, um, you know, you had all sorts of different kind of tribes. And, and we used to go to Killing Joke in the early 80s, and you would see them there. There'd, there'd be the Mohicans, there'd be the Krustys. You, have all, you could see them all going absolutely nuts. And Jazz would control the whole thing. He was like the Pied Piper. He was mesmeric and... and and frightening. Yeah. I mean, he, he there's something flips when he's on stage, which is quite I've never seen it in any other performer, and it's 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 both frightening, and it draws you in at the same time. It's a bit like a, a moth to the flame. You can't help but be drawn in by it. So that was in the early eighties, and I and uh, I the, the the TV company that I had, we had a studio which we would dry hire, little TV studio, four waller basically, so it's perfect for bands. And I got phoned, I can't remember the guy's name now, I should know his name, but I got phoned up by their manager. Oh, he sounded as dodgy as hell, it was brilliant. He said, mate, mate, um, can, I, can I hire your studio for a morning? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, uh, great, great. He said, we, just, we don't need any, we just come in with a couple of cameras, it's just a well, cheap job. He said, uh, he said, how much? I said, oh, for the morning, I don't know, 100 quid. He said, oh, I don't know, mate, make it 50. I said, well, come on, mate. I said, who is it? He said, it's Killing Joke, Jazz Coleman. I said, no problem, mate. He said, can I make it 50 quid for cash? I said, yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, it's my company. I'm the managing director, so I just won't tell anybody, you know. Uh, anyway, so they turn up. Jazz turns up. And I've met, you name it, Pete Townsend, Robert Plant, David Bowie. No problem at all. Jazz Coleman, I, I, like you and Frank, I was like, blah, 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 blah. I, I just... I didn't know what to do. I couldn't. I couldn't even get anywhere near him. This is one of my greatest heroes musically. Yeah. I can't get near him. Anyway, he's in there holding court, being jazz, rolling up spliffs the whole time. Of course, I can't say to him, "Mate, you can't smoke in the studio." I just let him do it. Anyway, we had a. The studio was in a kind of a gated complex, and uh, before the end of it, Youth turned up. Youth is lovely. He's like a Labrador. He's, right. He'll say hello to anybody. So I'm talking to Youth, and the manager turned up. Anyway, the cab came up to pick him up. And I had to open the gate. Jazz is sitting in front in the passenger seat. And he just looks at me and he goes. <laughs> and I thought, you fucker. You knew, didn't you? You knew all the time that I probably love Killing Joke and I want it. And you didn't. Oh, oh, wow. I just loved it. It was hilarious in a way. Yeah, yeah. It was hilarious in a way. But he must oh. have known. Oh, he must have done that. That's quite sneaky, actually, but brilliant. Yeah, it's typically Jazz Coleman, isn't it? Yeah. But there you go. So that was my Jazz Coleman story that I was going to tell you. But um, more importantly, Andy, I know that Therapy are doing a few a few festivals. When are you going on a bigger tour? Is there a new album coming out? Because the last one was what, Cleave? Yeah, the last one was like four years ago. And we've we've been celebrating because of the, the COVID and lockdown. We had to put off. This was our 30th anniversary tour. So earlier in the year... We toured all around Europe doing a greatest hits set. 
we're doing festivals and then November and December, October, we're going to Ireland. November and December, we're doing a uh, old stuff set. And what we're basically doing is we're playing smaller venues and we're just playing stuff off the first three or four albums. And that's just for the hardcore fans. So it'll be actually the stuff that's more like Kill a Joke, you know what I mean? The kind of really earlier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Drums and stuff, yeah. But next year, we have a new album coming out in January. And then we're, we're going to go on tour all year with that. So we'll be back out. Yeah. So you'll see us, if you live in the UK, you'll see us November, December, and you'll definitely see us all next year. So do, doing London gigs, obviously. We will do, yeah. We'll be, we'll be doing a big London gig when the new album comes out. There's no the smaller gigs we're not doing London. We're kind of doing Dover. We're doing um, places like that. We're doing... Um, but the next year will be all the major cities when the album comes out. Yeah, well, if you're doing any near Southampton, let me know. Yeah, give us a shout. Anything you want, ever want to go to, please. Well, me and Mark will definitely be at the London gigs in the new year, and I'm looking forward to that new album. I, I, I mean, I do love the early stuff because you're right; it's it's redolent a killing joke, a bit of Sabbath. I mean, the Iron Man cover is just actually. Last question: How did you get Aussie to sing on that? Well, they asked us. They asked they, you. They they put together, and it was his wife Sharon, because we knew Sharon before the Osbournes, right? Because we did we did a tour of America with Ozzy, right? And, and we we opened for Ozzy. Now what happened was they did this album, uh, Nativity in Black, and Sean Osborne phoned up our manager. This was '94, so we were kind of on the cover of Crying and stuff like this at that point in time. With a top five album called Trouble Gum, yeah, yeah. So basically, we get a call saying, "Would you like to do a cover of Iron Man with Ozzy?" And we did the music and the rhythm and the drums in the UK, and then we flew over to LA. I I flew over with the bass player and with a producer called Terry Date, who's done Ozzy and Soundgarden of Pantera, for Ozzy to do the vocals. And we kind of, I mean, again, like, I mean, Black Sabbath I quite like, our bass player, it's his favorite band of all time. And he froze when he met Ozzy. We went into the studio and we had recorded the music and we kind of punked it up a little bit. It's you know. a really good version. Yeah, thank you. And uh, all he had to do was the vocals. So he just said, well, we were over doing press in LA. We went to the studio. Terry Date said, look, Ozzy's coming down. He said, he doesn't mind you guys sitting in. So he turned up and I remember like he came in, said hello to everyone. Our bass player just couldn't speak. He was very, very nice. He had a guy called Steve with him that was this kind of minders, a Scottish guy, a little Scottish guy. Uh, and all I remember, the first thing I remember was he went in to sing and he wears all those bangles. And Terry Date said, sorry, Ozzy, um, all I can hear is this metal rattling. <laughs> Can you take your bangles off? And uh, he took all his bangles off, and then I was, I was kind of like, okay, right. And then he did the song twice, and the, it was brilliant, you know. Yeah. And he came out, and I sort of went to, him, oh my god, I can't believe he did it in two takes. So, yeah. Well, I've only been singing it for twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> fair play, fair play. Well, no, I thought, I thought, I thought your your version of it was was very, you know, faithful to the original, actually. I thought, I thought, yeah, really, no, I mean, we were massive fans. I mean, I've got more into I me mean, our. Um, as I said, Bass Drum Mag is his favourite ever band. I, I like the the first four records a lot. And it was one of the few bands, actually, whenever I grew up and was into Joy Division, Killing Joke and Gang of Four. Black Sabbath was the kind of rock band that was okay to like because there was a kind of darkness there. And the, yeah. there was a kind of, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't think there's a million, if you like Joy Division, you can like Black Sabbath yeah. too because the music's got that kind of grayscale, yeah. ominous, doomy riffery that, that, that it's really very similar. It's all about the beats and the riffs, mate. Yeah, that's it. There we go. Andy, I, I mean, I could sit here spending at least two hours talking to you, uh, but you've probably got far better things to do, or at least I hope you have. And uh, what I will say is I think we might have officially beaten Mian's version of My Chelsea. 
Oh, really? Wow. So well done. <laughs> I mean, you didn't do as many matches, but you and I have talked longer. So there we go. But Andy, I mean, absolute legend that you are. You've been brilliant. So generous with your time. And I really, really appreciate that. And thank you hugely for it. But it's been a pleasure having you on. Thanks very much, Jason. Thanks for having us on the show. I love it. I'm looking forward to hearing it in the future too as well. Uh, we're not far away from the new season, so we'll be back soon for that. And uh, well, look, enjoy listening to it. Thank you for saying and being very lovely and kind about that, actually. I really appreciate that too. Definitely come and see Therapy when they're uh, touring, either before Christmas or in the new year. And I can't wait for the new album. It's going to be a cracker, I'm sure. Thanks very much, fella. Take care. Thank you. Pleasure. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.